Why is it every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know, why don't you know just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast, your home for in-depth news discussions, reviews, and deep dives into movies, television shows, and music, with a special emphasis on diversity and the Black experience. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. And you can also find us on all social media under the handle at SSN Podcast or at our website, SSNPodcast.com. Got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Okay, I actually don't know the damn, the damn melody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wait a second. That's how it goes. What she's doing. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. <laughs> Unprepared. Unprepared. Yes, I have created a different song. Uh- <laughs> For the whole weekend learning the melody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Brandon. I am here with Ali. Hello. And I'm here with Tammy. I'm emotionally healed after Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, we are here to talk about um, two different movies that both involve toys and children named Andy, but they are very different. One is the fourth movie in Pixar's signature uh, franchise of CGI animated films, uh, Toy Story 4, rated G for general audiences, all ages admitted. The other one is MGM's brand new reboot, remake, revamp. It's not really, it's more of a, more of a revamp than a remake because it's an entirely different concept of Child's Play, starring everybody's friend Chucky. Which is um, rated R, uh, no one under 17 a minute without parent or guardian. Um, <laughs> for violence and language and um, for bloody horror violence and language throughout. But yeah, we're going to talk about both of them and also sort of the histories of both franchises because, you know... Um, this is the fourth toy, fourth and apparently final Toy Story, and this is the Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth Child's Play movie, but the first in this different franchise. Wow. <laughs> um, I didn't realize there's so many. There's a bunch of direct-to-video ones. There are only five theatricals, but there are. I think there are, there's certainly two, but I think there's more than two of the uh, directed videos. There might be three. Let me double check that right quick. But yeah, Chucky has been making money for quite some time. (laughs) Um, Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. There are... Three. No, no, no. I had it right. There's eight. There's just two directed videos and then Child's Play makes nine. The new Child's Play makes nine. All right. But yeah, Toy Story 4 we'll start with. We'll, we'll start slow. And stay slow and then we'll go fast at the end like like um, Proud Mary. 
just, I'm imagining these legs, right? These legs. Yes. And sparkly dresses. <laughs> a lot of running in place. <laughs> um, so Toy Story, of course, is the signature franchise at Pixar because it was Pixar's first feature film. It was the first fully CGI animated film made in North America. I'm pretty sure the world as well, but I don't want to be too certain about that. Um, and it, it, of course, is a movie where every movie in the franchise has been considered at least very good, if nothing else. No, two and three, two and this, to a lesser degree, three are considered some of the best movies in cinema history, and they are well deserved as such. Three, I think people, <laughs> pe- no, people, people like three a lot because of the emotional depth of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I don't hate three. Um, I definitely think two is fantastic. Uh, I don't think three is a bad movie. It just felt more like, oh, this is a sequel compared to like, you know, it's part of the really big story, I guess. There's some parts of it that kind of felt sequel but I did enjoy it. Right. And so just a little bit of a brief history about Toy Story. Toy Story, of course, uh, came about because Pixar had been working with Disney. They had built the, um, Disney's CAP system, their computer-assisted production system. Um, I've been computer animation. I've heard both as the acronym for it. Basically, it's their ink and paint system that allowed them to do computer coloring for their animated features, which made them, it was supposed to make them cheaper. (laughs) But once they started adding ornate touches to everything, it basically made it to where they could do more complex things with them. You know, multiplane tricks, better integration with CGI elements and everything. And just a, like a better look with more with a wider color palette, you know, evident from being from evident to rescuers down under. My bad, and then beating oh, the beast forward. Wait, wait, did it start in rescuers? I thought it was in the the last scene of Little Mermaid. It, the second the to last shot, of Little Mermaid is the first one they, yeah, they the used. Yeah, the rainbow. Yeah, with the rainbow. Yeah, King Trident. And it looks kind of janky. Um, <laughs> I mean, it does. And you can see the difference too from yes. the rest of the movie now. Yeah, you really can. Um, it's like oh, Technicolor now. Yep. The rescue, yeah, Rescuers Down Under is the first one where it's all the way through, though. Every scene. Oh, okay. Uh, then Beauty and the Beast, nice. and then moving forward. And so they started working on their own feature film under the auspice of the Disney Story Department and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, because people at Pixar had never made a feature before, it was a very hard process for them under the direction of John Lasseter. Um, lots of lots of hugging bear himself. Um. <laughs> I was gonna say about Toy Story three, but I was being good. <laughs> oh, that bear really wanted some hugs. Yes, he did. Um, be careful where you sit in the meeting, everyone. Um, and so <laughs> the animators were warning us. Yeah, poor Skydance animation people. God, why did they do that? Um, and so. You know, they didn't know what they were doing at first. It, it apparently started out as a very mean-spirited movie about a very mean toy named Woody, who, you know, and everything, who's... Uh, but they softened it to a buddy comedy between Woody and this new toy, Buzz Lightyear. You know, after, like... I, there was, like, a point, like, with Aladdin where Katzenberg came in and said, it's all bad, guys! Throw it all away! You know, that sort of thing. And they had to start over from scratch and still meet their deadline. Um, toy Story, of course, it opened in November of 1995. And became a smash hit and a sensation because, oh, it's computer animation. It's the best thing we've ever seen. It's got depth and shadows. It looks realistic, unlike those Disney movies. And um, <laughs> I just need to be clear that uh, 13-year-old Brandon did not go see that movie in the theater. He refused. Oh. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
eventually see him in the theater because I think like my cousin wanted to see it or something. I'm like, oh, nothing's drawn. <laughs> you understand me. That's why you're uh, here tonight. Praise uh, God. <laughs> I'm like, it's just a gimmick. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. Uh, I did not see Toy Story 1 until it was on ABC as the <laughs> wonderful road of Disney movie of the week. <laughs> I'm like, what is this, an entire movie on it's one with no one going insane? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So at 13 years old, you thought that it was a gimmick and it was not worth your time. Yes. We're we're obviously very special, unique people here. Right. <laughs> so I didn't want to see this movie when it came out because it looks scary as shit. <laughs> I think I... we're gonna be diving deep into this pretty soon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it looked like a nightmare. It <laughs> So one of my scariest memories as a child is is always is always thinking that my toys might come to life and basically and then oh, there you go and and then Disney and Pixar was just like but but wait <laughs> we can do that for you we can make the entire movie be about toys. <laughs> You know what's funny? (laughs) What's really funny? Brandon and I had this fear that they were going to cancel the 2D animation department. (laughs) This movie also brought that fear. (laughs) (laughs) I sympathize with you very much. Yes. (laughs) And I love this movie now. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good movie. It took me a long time to come around to it. Yes, it did. (laughs) But then everybody went to go see it. And then... You know, my cousins went to see it and everything. And so, as with most things, I got dragged into other stuff because I had no agency. <laughs> you were like the Porky and Buckwheat of your cousin group. You just like, like they just, you just tagged along because they're like, we're going, come on. <laughs> yeah, so, I went along, right? And so, yeah, that's pretty much that. Yeah, that's pretty much a lot of my movie going experience until. <laughs> Until I started going, and still until high school, and then I actually started doing whatever I wanted to do. I started going to movies that I want to see. But anyways, enough of that. It it really is a great movie, though. It holds up, even though there's no depth maps. (laughs) 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 A little little 3D humor there for any model. Tammy didn't have the technology. They did, but not for not for not for 88 minutes. Even by the second movie, they didn't have backup technology. So, I mean, <laughs> I understand where they were at. But, yeah. Uh, it really does hold up. And um, even, you know, with how it looks now compared to what we expect to be in a 3D movie um, with um, the technology and such. But I still quote it to this day. I'll randomly show up somewhere and be like, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. That's my favorite line in that movie. My favorite line is just... probably, like, everybody's favorite line. It's, you are a toy! <laughs> you are a child's plaything! <laughs> but, but there's a snake in my boot. <laughs> there is a snake in my boots. <laughs> there's some good lines. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, 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 listen, it's a, it's a great movie, guys. It really is. Um... But man, any movie that has a little toy shark put on a cowboy hat and go, howdy, howdy, howdy. Come on. <laughs> It's a throwaway joke. It didn't even need to be in there, but it's precious to me. Yes. 
If you look, it, it's funny looking at it now, though, like just in general from a technical angle, because yeah, there's no death maps. Mm-hmm. There's um, mm-hmm. you could make Toy Story Part One at home on a MacBook Pro with reasonable yeah. amount, in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you know, um, I don't know too much about it, but I believe um, what got that greenlit was uh, the short on uh, Tin Toy. Tin Toy, derp, Tin Toy. Tin Toy, nineteen eighty nine, Oscar for best animated short. There we go. Yep, that's the Wikipedia, Brandon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we'll talk about Tin Toy. He makes a little cameo appearance in Toy Story Four. There are so many cameos. <laughs> I'm there, like pointing, like, look, that box is lifted. And Jeremy's just giving me side eye. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Toy Story came out and it made um, over $350 million on a $30 million budget. Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, that's some Lion King money. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> they immediately um, greenlit. So I, Walt Disney Pictures owns, let me double check this print right quick, of Toy Story 1. I'm pretty sure they own the, yeah, they do. They own the entire copyright to Toy Story 1. It was not a like um a produ- it was not a shared um copyright deal. Pixar was the production company on it, basically. That's it. But for the other movies, so Pixar, which at the time was owned by Steve Jobs, because it was primarily a software company, because they had uh Renderman, their very popular rendering software that they sold to everybody that everybody used back in the day to um, render and process computer-generated images. And they still use it their own themselves today. I mean, it's still for sale. You can still buy it. Um, just everybody has their own render engine that's all competing, you know, for everything. And um, weren't there Caps computers, uh, were they using the next computer that Steve Jobs is all part of? Or um... I think I think they were using Unixes. I, I certainly by the time that I that I, that we were in college, because I mm-hmm. asked um our professor um all these questions. Uh <laughs> <laughs> They were using Unixes by that time. They may be using Nexus back then, but they probably didn't last long because Nex didn't really last. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good old Steve Jobs. But yeah, um, they Pixar signed a five-picture deal with Disney that basically like gave them like their um, joint um ownership in the next five movies they made, which were A Bug's Life in 98, which you know famously came after um Ants. <laughs> Katzenberg. Katzenberg. <laughs> That's how I imagine the whole like Eisner Katzenberg relationship was. It's just yeah. them at windows and like you know two uh, skyscrapers right next to each other, just yelling each other's names back and forth. <laughs> yeah, like I think Kat- well Katzenberg definitely tried to deny that he ever. <laughs> really cop was trying to copy off of a bug's life when he um came up with ants, but he managed to get it rushed out a year ahead of time. But before he did that, he said, Well, you know, guys, I'll cancel it if you just move a bus life from November 1998 so I can have all the room for my hand-drawn epic, The Prince of Egypt. And starring the, Val Kilmer. Starring Val Kilmer as Moses and God. Um <laughs> Pixar but said, no. Jeff Goldblum is in it, so <laughs> I'm okay. And it has my sister's favorite line in any animated film ever when um, Michelle Pfeiffer as Miriam comes up to um, Jeff Goldblum's Aaron and says, Aaron, you shame yourself. And walks away. <laughs> <laughs> We've quoted that for decades. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but yeah, A Bug's Life in 98, Toy Story 2 in 99. So Toy Story 2 was supposed to be a direct-to-video sequel. But as it was in production, uh, Lasseter felt like it could actually be worth it to put it out in the theater, that it could be better than it was. And so they made it, put it out in the theater. Um, the best-reviewed film in 1999. Well, it oh, wow. and like American Beauty might be tied, but I remember it, it was the reviews for Toy Story 2 were off the charts phenomenal. It was great. Like you, it's not very often you could say uh, the sequel is um, on par or better than the original. Not that the original was bad, right? Either. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. I saw Toy Story two at Tammy's house for the first time. I don't know if you remember this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I the double disc DVD set. I think right. Uh, Blu-ray actually. Blu-ray? <laughs> was it Blu-ray? It was Maybe. a Blu-ray. It was HD. Um, because I remember I had mentioned I had never seen it before, and because Toy Story three was on its way out, and like <laughs> you've never seen Toy Story two. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, uh, and it's hard because you know, two uh, D movies are in my heart, right? Like that's what I rush to see and try to support because it needs it, right? <laughs> and try to keep that art alive. And I, I love the look and feel of two D animation. Just a little bit of like, so then it's missing in a lot of 3D sometimes. Um, there are now a lot of good studios that kind of replicate that in a lot of ways. Um, so it doesn't feel too lost anymore. But usually that shows that there's some 2D guys working on those films to kind yes. of bring those sensibilities into it. Um, but, you know, Lasseter and, um, and the whole Pixar crew, I mean, they all wanted to be 2D animators, I believe, or just kind of had that, like, we love that style. So they brought a lot of that kind of timing and humor into their movies. So. They did. Yeah, and especially with the storytelling. Yeah, it really did. Lasseter used to work at Disney in the early 80s before he got fired. He yeah, was, I believe he was working on um, a short with Glenn Keane yeah, was, at one point. Yep, they were working on The Brave Little Toaster. Oh, that and, um, uh, oh, there was um, Where the Wild Things Are. Yes, yeah, that was the other thing. Cause yeah. I saw the test for that. Yeah, trying to combine uh, 3D and hand-drawn animation. Yep. This will never work. And they threw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward to. <laughs> uh, uh, Space Captain Long John Silver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Treasure Planet. Oh, yeah. And so Toy Story 2 uh, made even more money than Toy Story 1. It made almost $500 million on a $90 million budget. And it was notoriously not nominated for Best Picture at the 1999 of the 2000 Academy Awards to everyone's shock and dismay. And that sort of started the drive, because Katzenberg had been asking for it for years, but that started the real push towards getting a Best Animated Feature Oscar added as a category when Toy Story 2 didn't get nominated. <laughs> now, Toy Story yeah. 2 has the most devastating and heartbreaking scene, one of the most devastating heartbreaking scenes in like modern cinema history. Ooh, when they break open the mint conditioning package, right? No, not that. <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking Angry about. Angry collectors. <laughs> um, it's when, of course, you know, in Toy Story 2, of course, um, one was about, you know, Woody being threatened by the presence of Buzz Lightyear as a new toy in Andy's room. And um, this fear of being lost when they were moving from one house to the other. Two is about Woody finding out that he was the most popular toy of the late 1950s. And that he was connected to a whole TV show called Woody's Roundup. He had a whole cast of supporting characters, Jesse and Bull. What's the dog? What's the what's the horse's name? 
A bullseye? Is it bullseye? I'm like, yeah, I thought Maybe? it was wrong. Yeah, bullseye and, and Sticky Pete the Prospector. <laughs> and um, it was this whole thing to where he found out, you know, he was that popular because if he gets kidnapped by um, um, by Wayne Knight, who looks like Wayne Knight in the movie. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen it in a while. Well, Let me just check to see that, make sure that's Wayne Knight and not somebody else. I believe else. so. They're Cheetos. It's... Yeah, it's Wayne Knight. <laughs> yeah, because they made it look like himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he has to sort of kind of figure out whether or not he wants to live this life of celebrity as, you know, this antique, a vintage toy, you know, in a collector's collection or go back to Andy's, the whole thing of him, you know, his philosophy about a child needs to be with, um, a, a toy needs to be with a kid. They need to have a purpose of making a kid happy. And a toy needs to be played with. Right. Like, you know, what is your purpose if not to bring joy and stuff? You're right. And and uh, Jesse is very angry at, you know, how he talks about his, you know, kid Andy. You and your kid Andy, you want to go back to, huh? <laughs> and there's one point where Woody, oh, Woody asks Jesse, why, why do you keep saying like that? That's the same way I felt about Emily. And then they go into the uh, this montage set to a Randy Newman song, "When She Loved Me," somebody, um, um, Sarah McLachlan. Sarah McLachlan, uh, McLachlan. Yeah, I can't pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> and it, listen, I had never cried so hard at an animated film before. I and I cried at Mufasa Dyke, but this shit. Oh, my land. Because <laughs> it's like Je- Jesse having to deal with, you know, like like being this little girl's favorite toy until she grew up and outgrew horses and became a teenager and gave away Jesse and left her on the side of the road to be uh, uh, adopted as, you know, a, a free toy. And just... Yeah. Oh. And that's the thing about Pixar. And I love Pixar for the most part. Cars we got to talk about. But um, <laughs> the good ones always make you feel terrible about something you do. <laughs> Whether it's like, oh man, I picked a new favorite toy. I've devastated my collection. <laughs> you know? Or like, you know, second one, like, oh, I should really open up that toy in the mint box. Or damn, I shouldn't have puberty. You know, it's one of those things where like, you just always have to feel bad about something. <laughs> yeah. They make you sad you're not a better person. <laughs> uh, Jeremy came out of the kitchen and said uh, that they make you feel sad that you're not a better person. Yes. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so Toy Story 2 was so good that, of course, Disney wanted a Toy Story 3, but they and Lasseter disagreed upon what Toy Story 3 would actually be. And they also disagreed upon because the thing was this, Buzz Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters University. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, so five-picture deal. Because they made seven films before they were bought by Disney. But I believe what happens that they did not count Toy Story 2 as being towards the deal. At least Disney did not. So that leaves um, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, which we almost forgot about, Incredibles, and Cars. Cars. Concluded the Pixar-Disney uh, production deal. A Toy Story oh. 3 would be outside of that. You know, and the other thing with that too around that time, if I remember correctly, is um, there was a loophole they hadn't thought of at the time where Pixar thought that sequels counted for the five-picture deal. Right. And Disney's like, no, they don't. So then there was this uh, disagreement with uh, Lasseter and, um, and Eisner where um, 
they thought it was time to renegotiate. And Disney's like, no, it's not. And so they both were doing this thing of like, well, we don't like you anymore. We're going to leave. I'm going to find myself a better man kind of thing. I don't yep. need you anymore. Hey, Universal, what's up? We're just talking, you know. And um, and in the meantime, they were working on Ratatouille as their first original project. And it's really neat because when you look at Ratatouille now, it really does feel different in tone from some of the other movies where um, it doesn't seem like something you would really make a lot of toys of, if you know what I mean. No, it's a rat it's in the kitchen a cooking. Rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, there was no better partner for Pixar than Disney, but just Eisner was kind of really the thing that was making it difficult. So I think mm-hmm. that's when like the Saved by Disney or Save Disney campaign started and Roy Disney was getting involved and yep. um, that whole thing. And then, you know, the only way to save face is, well, we're going to replace Eisner. Yep. <laughs> hey, there's a new guy. You're willing to talk now, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Bob Iger came in 2006. In, 2000, in January 2007, they announced that Disney was buying Pixar. <laughs> and I remember reading that the Pixar people were very angry when they first heard the first part of the news. But then when they heard that Disney was appointing Lasseter and Ed Catmull, who was the president of Pixar, to run Disney Animation and Pixar Animation, they all started cheering because basically it was a takeover. Yeah. You know? For the animation department. Yep. And Imagineering, too. I believe he became head of... Um, yes, he did. creative head of Imagineering, right? To oversee everything. Yep. And so Little based- did they know. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they oh, know. There used to be a segment of, of Disney Channel um, devoted to Imagineering. Was, was Lasseter on it? I wouldn't know. I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember a, a, big, a big smiling man with a Hawaiian shirt on. No, I remember the logo for Imagineering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I grew up watching the Disney Channel, which probably explains a lot about me. And um, <laughs> we had cable. And it was back when the Disney Channel didn't really have much original content. So okay. all they did was show all the old cartoons and like all the old um, ABC TV specials with Walt Disney. Being like, and here's my Florida project. We bought a lot of orange groves. Like, yep. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember so, that. Like, it was, who was the was guy? Really Tammy, who's the guy who always used to, Introduce us, like, um, so I don't know anything about Disney parks. I've never been to a Disney park before, so I'm going to have to explain <gasps> what it looked like, and you guys tell me what it is. We need so to fix you. There <laughs> to, so there used to be this special on Disney Channel all the time, where at some point, usually on a weekend, um, there would be a special where uh, a, a rather tall, balding, older white man would um, stand I in front of... That's what he. That's that's him. That sounds like Eisner. Sounds like Eisner. Yeah, yeah. like like a little um, bit of side hair, kind of like like a like an executive Homer Simpson almost. Yes, know. he looked like he looked like he was in charge. <laughs> yeah, that's Eisner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, so he signed this. Naturally- Hi, I'm Michael Eisner, head of the Walt Disney Company. And here we're gonna show you guys Pocahontas. It's a great movie no. we made. <laughs> Like, not no, naturally charismatic and not like a guy that's usually in front of the camera, but he's just like, welcome to our fun HR training day. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that kind of a feel. Like, he's trying to make it fun by being a part of it, but really, he's not fun. I just Googled <laughs> Michael Eisner, and yes, that was the man. <laughs> he's the man in the video, and he would start off by showing you, hey, here's, here's the, he's starting in front of a park, right? I don't know which park that is. But he's standing in front of a park and he's about to tell you about the, the new things that they've added to the park. And I think one of the biggest, one of the things that I can always remember is that one of the episodes of this particular special was when they were revamping Tomorrowland 
and they said they've revamped it like four or so times. And every time they have to change one particular ride, which is basically <laughs> this thing where you get into like a rocket ship and it would just spin you around. And they showed the, uh, it was, it's basically, it's basically just a space mountain. A rocket. No, you get into a rocket ship and it, it's like they're a bunch oh, of, it's like a, merry, it's like a merry-go-round, but with rockets. Astro Orbiter. Google that okay. one. Right. Yeah, um, and it sounds like a little tiny, like like the flying Dumbo, but little rockets. Yes. Yeah. So, and so he, I remember that I remember that particular episode because he showed he showed the old version, the old versions, excuse me, of that, and how every couple because Tomorrowland keeps having to reinvent itself because you keep getting to tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <And> <laughs> You have to keep on changing it all the time to make it look even more futuristic for the mm-hmm. time period. And so he was going into, I think the last time I saw that special, the version of Tomorrowland, the Astro Orbiter they were using was this golden, everything was just gold. Everything <laughs> was in gold. And um, it, it had this really timeless quality about it because instead of just making it rockets, the whole theme behind it was it's just a bunch of um, celestial um, you know, sort of orbs around it. Yeah. So now, so now, no matter what happens in the future, it's okay because planets never go, never go out of style. Well, so, poor Pluto. Poor, poor Pluto. Poor Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> well, two sit. things. Oh, one, we got to take you to a theme park. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> you guys come out here. I'll show you my Disneyland. It has a cute little castle. We'll have a great time. Get some doll Whips. It'll be wonderful. Oh, Galaxy's Edge. Uh, the main uh, story character in there is a wonderful minority running around. Okay. It's happening, guys. It's happening. <laughs> okay. We'll get lightsabers. We'll be good time. Awesome. And then second, uh, a wonderful Tomorrowland is the one over in uh, Disneyland Paris. I haven't been there personally, but I believe it was designed by uh, Jody Baxter, I'm correct. Um, and their theme is kind of more like a Jules Verne kind of Tomorrowland, where it's not supposed to be the current future, but more like a stylized, steampunky kind of future. So it's never really out of style. Theoretically, uh, I've never been. Yeah, I think, and that's that's one of the things that, what's his, uh, Eisner, when he explained in the special, he was he was saying that they 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 are... You know they're trying to make something that's timeless, and they he I think the special explained that finally they think they've cracked the code, and they figured out how to to do the astro orbiter without having to keep on making a new one all the time. So, but <laughs> Spoilers: yeah. They're planning to redo Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was just like, but you have to things 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 need to change. You can't have a theme park that looks the same all right. every year after year. But anyway, so yeah, I I remember a lot of these specials. Imagineering, there used to be a segment of Disney Channel where it was all about inventions and, and stuff like that, where they would take you into um, into some kind of department where they would show you how um, Disney is, quote-unquote, also trying to, to, to compete with, you know, like in terms of like the, the leading edge in like technology and stuff. So they would show you all these cool, cute little things that, you know, they have to like, obviously they have to explain it so that yeah. kids would run and whatever it was it was a cute little segment that used to happen <laughs> and right. you know what i love about that you know getting back to toy story where um when you look at the toy story movies now especially like it kind of reflects that theme of here is technology progressing 
right? When you look at the first movie, second movie, the third movie, there's always a new technological feature to kind of add. And we're like, hey, we just learned how to do fur. Now we're going to have a lot of furry characters in this one or, you know, different uh, like types of effects and rendering styles that are kind of added in. And I think that also helps drive the story sometimes. It's like, now that we can do this thing we couldn't really do before in 3D, now we can. So Yeah, like for example, probably Amy, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely, yeah. Andy, Andy got a major upgrade yeah. because oh my god, it's it's so crazy because I look back at stills of Toy Story One and Andy looks so flat. He does like, he does like a, a top, like an automaton. I mean, but that's yeah, what you were going to get back then. Yeah, he looked. He does not look like really very human. And then you look at when they do a flashback, and we'll talk about that in the in this movie of Andy back then. To actually and how they've upgraded him, he looks so much more natural. His movements are so much more fluid, and you know his there's a there's a uh, there's a looks and a, a very organic look to his skin. Um, I remember when they they showed behind the scenes of the third movie uh, how, you know, pre-college Andy or just about to enter college Andy, he had, they added like, like freckles and stuff like that. And just his skin isn't completely the same color all over. There's, you know, these little flecks and things like that. And it's, it's, it, it's blowing, it blew me away. I was like, yeah, this, this thing is really, it's this franchise. It, it really has been a good way to sort of, have set benchmarks of um, you know uh, milestones in 3D animation. So yeah, yep. So Toy Story three followed eleven years after Toy Story two, and Toy Story two was kind of notable because it took place four years after Toy Story one. So they were running more or less in real time, which means that in Toy Story three, Andy was a teenager. He was turning 18, and he was not playing with these toys anymore. <laughs> he was going through a lot of changes. Yeah. <laughs> and so the toys end up being donated to the Sunnyside Daycare, where they've been told basically that they'll be able to live in perfect um, retirement and get to be played with all the time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, some, it's a lie, because the children come into the daycare, and they're, just, they're, they're little monsters. At least from the toys' perspective, they're, they're like you know they're abusive, <laughs> very <Animals>. rowdy. <laughs> and but eventually, what ends up happening is that yeah, Woody makes the acquaintance of a kid named Bonnie, and it ends up that um through um through a very very um dark plot where lots of hug and bear who runs the daycare from the tour perspective, basically has all the toys interred like they're in a concentration camp. (laughs) 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 Um, Because he's bitter because he lost his, he became a lost toy, but he got back to his owner. His owner had bought a new replacement version of him. So he actually apparently hates children. Telling you, these movies are kind of dark, really, when you think about it. Quite dark. (laughs) There's some big life questions on a lot of these. I'm mad because he 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 had uh, he had Kendall as his one of his henchmen, and I was not okay with that. Yeah. But didn't he look great? <laughs> <laughs> and so, th- and who was who was the voice of that one? Was that Michael Keaton? Yes, it was. Ah, oh, I love this world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so he has the toys banished and sent to the um the dump. 
the trash dump. And they end up like in the um, heading for the incinerator at the trash dump. And and Lotso escapes, but doesn't doesn't free the others. Where's your kid now? Ha ha ha. And they are, I'm playing it right now um, as I'm talking about it. They're, they are headed for the fiery furnace. Just like in the Bible. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> You're going to invoke Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in this. Really? Okay. Fine. Oh. I mean, what? where else were they going for? <laughs> it's like judgment. But- <laughs> and you, salvation in the end because listen they all turned to each other and joined when they realized they couldn't escape they all turned to each other and started joining hands yeah so that's when I lost it in the theater that's I, was when I, like, lost well, I lost it in the theater too I was like what is going on here and they all look they all look terrified for real and I'm just sitting like and the music is playing no, wait, wait, not even that they don't look terrified they look like they've resolved to thinking yeah, that this like is terrified resolve, like like yeah, like like this is this is what's happening. <laughs> I just I cannot be- Pixar. You cannot do that to me. <laughs> My wings. Are- <laughs> you cannot. You can't. <laughs> and it goes on and on. And right when it's like the exact last second is when the um the little alien ones like the oh, claw them guys saved them. And I remember the theater exploded with the applause. You had never heard such a cathartic response to anything happening in a movie ever. That's just like, they were like, so relieved that they pulled up finally. (laughs) I forgot for a second that I was watching a movie that would always, that would always resolve itself in a good way, right? I I completely forgot that this, they, they can't have a movie that they can't have a Toy Story movie where the toys get incinerated. But for some reason, I was so invested that I completely forgot that that's not a thing that that that's a thing that will never happen. And yeah, I I was just completely flawed. Like my, I I felt when I walked out of that theater, my face was probably as white as a ghost because I could not, I could not comprehend what I had just seen. Oh oh, they were not through with you. So they made their way back to Andy's house, but like after Woody had met Bonnie and realized that Bonnie actually knew how to take care of her toys and had an imagination that she would play with them properly, he, you know, like they bend the rules a lot in these movies, whether or not the kids know the toys are actually alive. Because the whole concept is that the toys are alive, they want to take care of the kids and be nice to the kids, at least the good ones do, but they can't ever actually properly interact with the kids directly or of humans in general. Only time they do it is when Woody scares Sid in Toy Story 1. Otherwise, they're always like behind the curtain or something or behind in a drawer. And in this one, um, Woody writes Andy a note and Andy takes the kid, the toys to Bonnie and she adopts them all. And it's it's good, such a great scene because when he has to give up Woody, he doesn't want to do it. Even though, obviously, you know, he needs to... He has to because he's going to college and you can't take your um, um, your uh, <laughs> cowboy ragdoll <laughs> to the door. <laughs> Not going to work. And so he leaves the toys with Bonnie. Everybody in the theater is crying. Remember all the toys they had to give up when they got grown. Uh, <laughs> and so there's just, you know, a new life for the toys. Uh, did you anybody else ever see Toy Story or Terror? 
What? It was, uh, was that one of the shorts? Or yeah, something? it was a short that they ran as a TV special, where the um, where Bonnie takes her toys on a um, a trip and end up at a motel, and at the motel, I um, I believe that um, one of these toys or something like that is kidnapping the others because Combat Carl is where we first meet Combat Carl, voiced by Carl Weathers, in this special. And it's up to Jesse to save all the rest of the toys because they've been kidnapped. I did not realize Combat Carl was in that. Yes, he that's was. That's wonderful. I realize <laughs> now. <laughs> that's the highlight. Uh, <laughs> something else later. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it aired on ABC in 2013. Wow. I forgot where I saw it. Oh, I think I saw it on the... Um, one of those Pixar shorts, um, Blu-rays or DVDs. That's where I saw that. Oh, I, with like the whole collection of all of them, right? Yeah. Like I, Gary's Game, huh? Yeah, yep. Because um, the, the old man from Gary's Game appears in Toy Story 2. You can't rush art! <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see where it was. I, I'm certain that it was on... Um, let me see. Well, yeah. It was on one of those. Um, and so now we have Toy Story 4. So when they first announced Toy Story 4 in 2014, I think everybody had the same, the same basic response. Bullshit, Mr. Handyman. <laughs> three, like I hope you like your check. <laughs> yeah, three was the end. That was all we were supposed to get. It's over. This is just blatant of uh, commercialism. This is just this is Disney trying to torture us by with more advertisement and just trying to make money. They're trying to read the franchise dry. It's too much. Oh, quick side note. Um, what about Circle Seven? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Toy Story 3 originally was supposed to be produced by Disney itself because they owned the rights to the original and so they felt like they had the right to make a sequel and when Pixar wasn't cooperating with them the way they wanted them to they were going to make it themselves they started a studio called Circle 7 Animation where they were going to produce um, Toy Story 3 themselves uh, which did not go very well for them you know, like, you know, the, once the Michael Eisner era was over, Circle 7 animation was shut down, and Pixar was given back control of Toy Story 3, as they should have been from the start. Yeah, I believe um, the plot they were floating out there was that um, uh, Buzz Lightyear was going to get recalled back to China, I think? Yes, overseas. That, was, that, was, that was the plot. I was trying to remember. Yeah. I couldn't remember it. I, I think vaguely, like... <laughs> But that, that not, yeah. that's that's about that's that's what I remember that he was gonna be recalled and he had to go over there with him overseas. Yeah. A touching, heartwarming story <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. every child can relate to. I mean, they could have tried, but I don't think they would have, you know, had the same because the, the Pixar story department by that time had, you know worked itself into like an amazing like force to be reckoned with as far as storytelling was concerned. Like like almost parallel to almost nothing, like with very few missteps, cars to brave. Um <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, Taiwan, not China, Taiwan. 
looking at it now on Wikipedia. And apparently, um, Jim Hertzfeld, who wrote Meet the Parents, was the screenwriter who wrote the script for it. My gracious. But yeah, so that leads to Toy Story 4, which, which uh, came out this year because it swapped release dates with The Incredibles 2, which came out, was supposed to come out now, but it came out last year because they pushed it up because of anticipation for it. So Toy Story 4 got more time and uh, Incredibles 2 got less. Wow. I mean, and are you sure that, um, is there any news that maybe Toy Story 4 needed more time and since that was the flagship, they swapped it with The Incredibles 2 or... Because I felt like The Incredibles 2 was rushed in the story department. Yeah, what I... I mean, but from the movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, what I heard... I still haven't seen it. Ali has seen it. I haven't seen it. Because oh, um, they, they, told, they told me not to. I'll see it eventually. They told me not to rush because they, they didn't like Don't it. Don't rush. Yeah. Yeah, it, it has some moments, but it, the first one was perfect. That's like my top five movies of all time. Incredibles. Every single shot in it, every single scene is absolutely perfect and not I just, wasteful. I just kind of understand me. Like, I just don't understand how, like, I've, I left that movie and I just, I just like. I, <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm pausing, I'm just, yeah. So according yeah. to, um, yeah, the Hollywood what? Reporter said that Toy Story 4 had problems. This is what happened. It's why they pushed, they okay. pushed it back. And you know what? And and that's where like sometimes you're gonna cut your loss. Instead of swapping, just push both back, right? Because right. you know, Toy Story Four, I loved it. I thought it was just every scene was great. You know, it didn't feel like a throwaway, like I thought it was gonna be. I thought this was the movie Toy Story Three should have been, <laughs> if that makes sense. I I can see that. Let's actually go in and talk about it now. So Toy Story Four came out this past weekend. Um, We'll give like quick letter grade reviews. They will jump into spoilers, such as they are. I mean, they are spoilers, but I mean, it's not a lot to spoil, really. I mean, not really. Kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we'll actually, I'll go ahead and start with Tammy. Tell us what you thought of Toy Story 4. Give us your letter grade for it. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it. It didn't look bad, but you know, they're pushing the kind of uh, the whole pseudo feminist narrative, which I love when you have strong stories with women and everything in it, as long as it's not like, now we're going to do the female version. Now, like, eight women are going to rob the Met because nobody's available for Ocean's 15. You know, like, I don't like when it's shoehorned into another idea. I like when it's an independent original story. And this felt like it. And it was great because Annie Potts' Bo Peep always has been wonderful. And the way they fleshed her out in this one, like, she felt like a real character, not just being shoehorned into, like, a cliche or anything. Right. And not, like, a forced evolution of who she needed to be now for the plot. It just felt like this has always been Bo Peep. And, um, and one of the things that actually did frustrate me about Toy Story 3, while well, you know, I liked it overall, I always thought it was a big disservice that she wasn't even in it. And I don't know if that was um, either like she wasn't available or whatever, or just lazy writing where like, look how much has changed. Bo Peep isn't even here without even giving her the grace of a, an exit, you know, or goodbye scene. Um, this movie fixes that. It, it makes everything great uh, in regards to what happened in Toy Story 3 and her. And it made it even more powerful um, because it really explained what happened to her and how did it affect her and who is she now? And it was just a really good story all the way around. And um, maybe slightly spoilery, I have not cried that much in the first five minutes of a movie since Up. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it wasn't terribly like just, like Up is just like, oh, human condition is awful kind of thing. This was like, 
oh wow, feels and and it was wonderful and uh, such great animation and good storytelling overall and the pacing was really good and all the characters were really good and fleshed out and um, while some were more featured than others and some less, um, I think some partially because of um, some loss in the cast where some people have passed away and stuff, um, such as uh, Mr. Potato Head and Slinky the Dog and all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really well done overall. And even um, the villain was well-written, I felt, and not just a cliche of like, ha, 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 you know. And it just everyone seemed really interesting. And it was a good story and not a cliche one, which is really hard <laughs> to do sometimes. So I, I felt it was a perfect ending and it really felt like an ending. It really felt like, okay, now he can go off into the sunset, you know, like kind of cowboy, <laughs> kind yeah. of, you know, like old movies of like, yeah, this is done now, you know, and um, it felt really good and um, really, really enjoyed it. So, and of course, uh, Keanu Reeves, always great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the whole cast in general, there's um, a lot of cameos in the cast actually when I was reading the credits. I'm sure we'll talk about more later, but I yes. uh, highly recommend it. Definitely go see it. Um, it's one of those ones worth seeing in the theaters because they really did a good job with it. So not all sequels can be like that. So I'm really happy with the way this one ended. Okay. And, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, you know, it's one Will Smith away from being a perfect movie. So I guess that's an A? Yeah, I, I would actually give this an A. Okay. All right, <laughs> Ali? I'm going to give this an A too. I think this is a really good example of of how, of how to show the progression, uh, if even if it's not a sequel, I guess it's like a quadruple at, at this point. Or sorry, uh, uh, is it still a sequel? There are always sequels. Okay, fine. So I don't yeah, know what I the think, correct number math is or for that. Word. Yeah, I agree. I, I but anyways, I think this is this is a really good way to show what's ha- what what happens next, uh, or you know, it, it's. It doesn't feel like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we had a movie before, and so we just we're just trying trying to cash in on a brand. It doesn't feel that way, even though um, the initial marketing to me kind of came off like I was like, I thought we weren't getting gonna get any more Toy Story movies. I think I thought this was it, you know, the, the third movie, and I was like, oh man, they just they just they're just trying to get me to you know just trying to get my butt in the seat again. But then after watching this, I. I am. I, I do not have this um, feeling at all. Like this movie, definitely needed. I needed this. You know, there's there's so much. And with all the crazy other movies that's been happening, like uh, a feel good movie like this is, is definitely this. I keep forgetting, and I I will I'll keep on saying this. I keep forgetting that these are sometimes toys because the stakes. They set up the stakes really well, and I keep forgetting that. They're not, they can't really, they, they can't really die, <laughs> you know? They can't, like, they, they're, they're, the, the threat is being lost or forgotten or getting torn to pieces and stuff like that. And when they're in danger, I feel for them. When, when they, when they um, express emotion towards their kid or, or their friends or when they, when the character invokes you know, their, um, their um, raison d'etre, you know, they, they explain why they are the way they are. It, I feel something and I am fully invested in what happens to the character next. Um, I thought the villain, quote unquote, was really well done. 
I thought the conclusion was really um, um, good as well. And um, yeah, I'm going to give this movie an A. All right. I would give it an A as well. It's nearly perfect. The only thing I'm giving it points out for is excessive um, um, Negro um, um, activity. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I completely forgot, but I was thinking that like all the drive home, like, oh, like, huh. Like in the last five minutes of the movie, someone remembered, oh crap, have we not had any minorities in this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just shoot the horn them all in at the last minute. No, not that. I'm talking. I'm talking about Key and Peele. Oh, oh that's it. <laughs> I, I love them. I, I love I Key them. and Peele, but they were giving me 25 when I needed nine. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a little much. I leaned over to my chair and I, leaned, I said, "Um, the uh, the color portion of this movie has gone a little high, don't you? Just a little bit, a little too much." Yeah. Listen, Brandon, can we ever make you happy? I, that I, I listen. You're gonna, but Brandon, you know, if I got a cray, if I got a, a a box of crayons, you know, and you only got eight in the set, wouldn't you want twenty four? Don't you want twenty four? Don't, don't you want more? So they decided that we're gonna give you more. And we're gonna squeeze them into these two characters. We're gonna give you every line. Every stereotypical line that is. That's my problem, though. I felt like they were tap dancing on the line of being stereotypes. Like they really were. When, when, I, I will spoil one, one, one line when, when I don't know if it was Key or Peel's character when he turned to Woody and said, "You crazy." That and was, was Key. Because like, it was the duck. Was, He's the duck. Peel's the bunny. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Brandon Lee, no one was like. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Hoft in this movie. <laughs> I'm still giving it an A because, like, I mean, it it was amazing overall, like, and everything. Just it was so touching and so just like compared to the emotional roller coaster that was Part Three. This one, even though it it has its own emotional depth, it's more nice and relaxing and just like a good, nice warm hug of a goodbye to these characters. Yeah, because I feel like in in uh, part three, like the emotional parts of it, we're kind of like, here, we're showing a puppy being shot in the head. You're sad during this part, right? <laughs> the part, you know, like, yeah, that part's sad, but the whole movie wasn't about that puppy, right? This was, in a way, all about the puppy. <laughs> There's an obvious arc on where this is going to go from the beginning overall. Um, so you kind of have the entire movie to kind of come to terms with where the movie's going and yes. how the entire series is going to end compared to we're going to do this emotional gut punch right here. <laughs> or like, hey, here's your uh, obligatory Andy playing with his toys montage. <laughs> As right. sobbing. Like, they can never be back together. He's going to college. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about the movie overall. Um, and we haven't said it yet, but I mean, For- Forky, Forky is our hero. For, he came up and said, hi, I'm Forky. I'm trash. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a toy. I was Fork. I was, I was, waiting, for, I was waiting for soup or salad, maybe even chili, and then the trash. Flash. <laughs> I was like, if you don't know who you are, <laughs> if you don't know who you are, for, Forky knows who, who he is. <laughs> and he's not trying to pretend to be anything else or anything less. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> 
Porky's life is very simple. He knows what's trash and what's not trash. That's it. This dude, he he knows. He knows. Okay. <laughs> trash. <laughs> Tony Hale, right? I think yes, Tony Hale. I love him. Buster Blues from Arrested Development. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen Toy Story 4 yet and don't want to be spoiled, don't go any further. Um, but if you do <laughs> and have, or you do want to be spoiled, or if you've seen the movie, here we go. All right. So, we'll go through this kind of at a fast clip because I want to talk more about the Bo Peep stuff and everything. But basically, it starts out with the montage that we were talking about. Well, it starts montage. out with um, nine years ago. It starts out with a story how Bo Peep was taken out of the um the group basically no oh, the geez. toys had banded together to save rc from a rainstorm when they had been left outside and they do so but it turns out that um um the mom had basically given bo peep away to i guess to either like a i'm not a collector oh. but some i guess like like goodwill or whatever like that oh i thought that was a craigslist sale that's the vibe i got yeah <laughs> or yeah that, but- yeah Right? It was just a guy pulled up in his car, middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like some Craigslist shit, definitely. But yeah, because yeah. both people, you know, it's her, her sheep, and, and the lamp that all go together. You know, and like the... Um... Can I just say, I did not realize that Bo Peep was part of a lamp set. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I I haven't looked this up yet because I, I just saw the movie before being on here, but... um. Like, uh, did he actually have a fabric outfit before? Because I could have sworn it was porcelain. But it was, it was porcelain-esque. And what I means it's hard to tell because, you know, it was, it was 1995. Oh, right. Because uh, I was yeah. looking at it when we got started. I mean, double-check it right quick. Uh, I mean, that's a retcon I'll live with. Um, yeah, I mean, how else to put her in pants? But uh... Let's see. There she is. Her outfit looks like... Is it all porcelain? Mm, we'll, we'll go with fabric. Okay. I mean, the rest, the rest of her is definitely porcelain. No, it's, it's, it's fabric. It's moving properly. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it's fabric. Oh, okay. was no death maps. Got it. All right. <laughs> yeah. No. And they added some little details to her outfit and stuff and the, the model and everything. It looked really nice. Yes, it did. And yeah. I really did like um, the evolution of her look in the movie later on because all the parts she had, she was wearing them in different ways and just yeah. interchanging them. Like her skirt would become her backpack <laughs> and it would become like a cloak. So... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there because I can't wait for that part. They put Bo Peep in a jumpsuit, guys. We'll get there. We'll get there. Hold, hold on. We'll get there. <laughs> but so when she is um, in the box and Woody goes out to try to rescue her, she's oh. like, "Woody, it's over." Because you know the little girl doesn't want the lamp anymore. She's fine with it being sold, and would, like you know it's time for the next kid or whatever like that. And she says, "You know, Woody, toys get lost all the time. You know they get misplaced or you know like." left out in the rain and the sheep make a little spot in the box for Woody. And he considers it because, you know, he, you know, he's in love with Bo Peep and everything, but he yeah. hears Andy frankly calling for Woody. And so he decides not to do it. He decides that, you know, his duties with Andy, he needs to stay with Andy and Bo Peep is gone from his life. Oh, that's so rough. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it, it was so beautiful of a scene. That's why I was like sobbing because I mean, it's just like, what do you choose your dream job? Or your partner, right? Yeah. And um, and he was always made to be a toy, as far as he, you know, felt. And and what was so wonderful about the scene compared to other dumb cliches, both of them were okay with the other person's decision and respected it. Yes. He wasn't upset she didn't stay, and she wasn't upset that he didn't go. 
And I really appreciate that because usually it's like, you know, upset at one or the other or, you know, really trying to force the other person to make a choice. And it was just so beautiful that, you know, I completely agree. That is so much. He was okay with it. (laughs) I totally agree with that completely. That she, even when they met up again, she wasn't like, well, you left me and, you know, I had to spend for myself. No, it wasn't like that. You could have come. No. Yeah, you could have come if you wanted to, but I understand. I understand. I'm making peace with the fact that I am no longer wanted as a toy. And, yeah. and I understand that this is what happens. And I get that you want to stay with Andy. And I thought that, just like what Tammy said, when two people, if two people love each other enough, they need to, um, they need to come to that sort of a communication understanding where, mm-hmm. where you need to respect, even though you don't like the decision that the person makes, you need to respect and try to understand where they're coming from. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. powerful. And it's just really respectful to both characters because um, both of them were those types of characters. And it could have served the story to have one be upset or whatever, but that wasn't who they are, so they weren't written that way. And I'm really glad nobody went for a cliche in that scene. And, of course, I mean, it does set up for exactly where the movie's going to go. But it gives you time to accept that because that's a hard ask to be like, hey, you know, you can't imagine Woody still playing with kids, you know, in this room anymore with Buzz. You have to accept that he's not there anymore. So I'm really glad they kind of set it up, even though it was obvious that, you know, he would have to leave and make that decision. Finally, it gave you time to kind of get there emotionally. Yeah, it did. And so we went through the montage. It was still rough. <laughs> yeah, it was. So we go through the montage of Andy playing with the toys and then like we revisit him giving them to Bonnie and now Bonnie playing with them. And then so... You know, Andy's toys, his former toys are now part of this big new community in Bonnie's room where Woody, to his his clear dislike, is no longer the star toy. You know. The future is female. Yeah. <laughs> like like Bonnie um purposefully um pulls off the sheriff um star on his chest and gives it to Jesse, and she's the sheriff when when he when she does the play mm-hmm. stuff. And so all the older toys in Bonnie's room who are all voiced by old um Hollywood celebrities are in there talking <laughs> about, oh, so this is the third time sweet she's done that. Um you got your first dust bunny. What are you gonna name it? <laughs> so it's it's Mel Brooks, the... Carol Burnett, yes. Betty White, and Carl Reiner. Yes. <laughs> And what was so nice about the whole thing, too, because the whole vibe for me in the movie, I kind of mentioned it, was kind of like, here's a guy who is great at his job, right? Mm -hmm. His job is to be a toy for this kid. And he was at this dream job. And then eventually that dream job closed and he had to go to a different company. Mm -hmm. And he's still great at that job. He still has all this experience that comes up through the movie. Like, yeah, he was right about Forky. He was right about what uh, Bonnie needed. But there's other toys that are also learning to be just as good and having to share that position now where, you know, it's kind of like in the companies, now we have to hire minorities, now we have to have women, whatever, but we're all being treated like equals. And he wasn't resentful to the other characters though. And I love yeah, that. He right. was just it's sad the, that he was ran. using his role, you know, but not like trying to sabotage anybody or like get in front. He just wanted to do what was right for what he knew for his job. And mm. so the whole story are just kind of like, okay, eventually it's time to retire and enjoy the, what, what life you still can have. And so I love that whole story arc. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's almost like the brand, the brand of the company changed, right? We don't, we don't, yeah. our, our, our motivate, not our motivation, but our direction has changed. And so we don't want you up front anymore. It's, mm-hmm. 
we're changing our direction. And so, and I, and I, I love the fact that it was so natural. Of course, the, the, the little girl is not going to have the Woody doll as her, as her favorite. Duh. Right. She's not. She's a little girl. She's going to have the star of her, her troop of toys be, be of, you know, a woman, you know, and not just and- any kind of woman, a strong, a sheriff woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and and to be fair, though, you know, uh, to not gender stereotype what a girl should play with, um, it could be any toy, right? Like, right. and to instead of just presuming that it's always going to be Woody, because we love Woody and we've grown up with Woody, essentially, it's just nice that you know it, it could be any toy, and in this case, it happened to be the female cowboy. But then the next week, it could be the Triceratops. Who knows, right? Uh, because it's a different kid is the whole point, and she's going to have different likes. And um, it's just nice to how they're kind of trying to balance that of someone having a different taste than what you're used to. Like, different company culture, essentially, like what you're saying, a company with a different mission or a different brand, rather. Right. And so Bonnie is, is about to start kindergarten. She's going to kindergarten orientation and her dad tells her that she can't take any toys. And she's very sad about this. And so Woody, thinking that he's trying to be helpful, he sneaks into Bonnie's backpack to go to kindergarten with her. And when she's at the kindergarten, um, the uh, other children uh, don't really play with her at all or talk to her at all. They sort of kind of take, you know, like just, you know, take her, th- take um, her like parts of like the arts and crafts things, whatever. And so she's kind of sad by herself because the teacher is asked them to make um, cup holders to put their pencils and um, crayons and stuff in for when they actually start kindergarten. And so Woody tries best to be helpful. Go because like this one kid took some stuff and just threw it in, threw half of it in the trash because you know he's not properly raised at home. Um, so <laughs> Woody gets the stuff out of the trash. Is rough. Yes, Woody gets stuff out of the trash for Bonnie, puts it on on her chair and on her um her part of the table, and included in the stuff are um, pipe cleaners, uh, a popsicle stick, and a spork. And she takes it and she makes Forky. Trash. Trash. I have, <laughs> I have several things to say about this, about the, the kindergarten thing. First of all, I I was t- I remember first year of kindergarten, terrified. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think that's almost a universal feeling. Yeah, I, I remember that. Um and funny enough, I am still I, I I am still friends with at least one person from kindergarten. Oh, me too. Uh, me too. Which is, which is hilarious because we're still we're still friends. We went to the same um, uh, elementary school together. After that, we went to the same high school together. After that, and then when we went to college, both in America, we we parted ways. But we've you know we've we've still kept in touch and everything. And I remember that it, it, it's funny that you mentioned the way you mentioned how Bonnie's. Um, how Bonnie has her first day where you're like, well, the kids don't really mail with her. It's, I put myself in, in, in her shoes, remembering the first day of kindergarten. And honestly, it's more or less like, I, I'm too afraid to even talk to these other kids. It's not that they're, I feel like as if they're ignoring me. It's, I don't know if I, I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know what to do here. <laughs> you know, and, and even though these kids, they, they do not come off as, malicious or they're not trying to do they're not trying to um ignore her on purpose but it definitely does feel very isolating and so i want to amend what you just said it's not that they're 
not really, you know, really melding with her is that she just doesn't, she's kind of insecure. And I, and I, and I feel, I feel for that very much. And so when my, my favorite part of that scene is literally when Woody tosses the stuff onto the table. There's a lot of that happening in this movie, by the way. It's just things just appearing on tables. <laughs> and, and the, the, the humans just being like, eh, all right, whatever. <laughs> and just going along with it. So I, I yeah, that, that was my favorite part of that particular scene. Right. And so when she comes back home and like, Woody, you went in the backpack. You could have been confiscated. No, no, it's fine. I was there to help, you know. Like, um, Bonnie's made a friend. And Rex is like, oh, great. She's already making new friends. No, you don't understand. She, when I say she made a new friend, she made a new friend. And so, For- like, Forky meets the other um, toys. And he, and he immediately freaks out and runs for the trash can. Because, you know, he's like, I was made for soup and salad. Maybe even a chili. But I was not, I am not a toy. I am trash. And I'm going to, I'm going where I belong. Trash? Trash? And so Woody spends the next six or seven minutes of runtime trying his best to stop for him from committing suicide. <laughs> <laughs> and it's set to a Randy Newman song part of it of I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away. <laughs> so Forky Side, Forky Side is a real thing. <laughs> um, it's I so need funny a scary. Randy Newman, right? Yes. He really does just literally write whatever he's seeing on the screen as he's composing. <laughs> There's a great old family guy joke where it's just like, you know, woman gets an apple. <laughs> I guess Lois is eating an apple. He's literally just describing whatever's happening in the scene. And it's still delightful every time. We're four movies in and I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yes, indeed. And it's, it's funny because, you know, Woody is determined to make sure that Bonnie is happy and Forky made her happy. For Her whole, her whole being light, lit up after she made Forky in kindergarten. So... And uh, so Woody is determined to make sure that Forky does not throw himself away because it's important. <laughs> and so, Cause, yeah, because she, uh, you know, and going through psychology here, you know, she was feeling isolated, like she wasn't important, didn't have anything to contribute, and she made this little fork thing. And the teacher's like, "This is awesome. You're creative." And she's like, "Oh, I am awesome," you know, and then just has self esteem and feels like she can be part of this group. And so he represents that little bit of self esteem she had on her first day when she was scared. And so if that's gone, like, who is she kind of thing, right? Because she's not yet really strong in herself yet and, and knows how to make friends. And so I mean, just the focus is there to get that guy to live long enough for her to keep making friends and feel better and more secure. Protect Bonnie. Protect Forky. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're going on, um, the family's going on a, a RV vacation before school starts. And so Bonnie's going to take all of her toys, including Forky. And so part of um, Woody's frustration now is trying to stop Forky from jumping into gas station trash cans, <laughs> the trash can inside the RV, which they just throw out the window at one point. <laughs> but eventually Forky just opens up the window and dives out the window. I love how Woody's just like, fuck this, this, this trash can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Woody jumps of- out. Oh, at- go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, there really is kind of like a whole Frankenstein's monster thing to the whole thing where he was never supposed to be alive, but he is. Right. But he kind of knows he was never supposed to be alive and isn't part of this world kind of thing. 
you know, and like he's an abomination and he knows it kind of thing. And um, so I did enjoy that kind of uh, take on it initially before he kind of came to terms with what he now was. Right. And he comes to terms with it because he's out there walking on um, on the side of the road with um, Woody because they're trying to get to the RV camp where they're going to meet up with the rest of the toys. And What he, an awesome scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because, listen, the animation of Forky, give them all the Annie Awards now. Oh, my God. Because it's perfect. It's such a mundane thing. But it's like, but when you actually watch it, it's actually so hilarious because that is how a real... Spork would be if you drag it along asphalt. <laughs> Every time I saw his little pipe cleaner hand in a close-up, <laughs> oh, I died. I died because it was, it was literally a pipe cleaner. I, just... <laughs> I love it. So kudos. Whoever rigged that and textured it and lit it, you are amazing. Props to you guys. My favorite is it the lip sync. Literal. Like the way his mouth moves is basically like a, <laughs> a, a, a like an extruded spline that just wiggles it in yeah. a fourth direction. It was like a Gumby action. Yes, like, it was uh, very Gumby, yeah. very Art Cloaky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gumby. <laughs> oh well, it was, it was so great. <laughs> and so on the road to try to convince um, Forky of how important he is to Bonnie, Woody tells. Forky, his entire backstory, basically from the other movies. He's like, yeah, so wait, so when Buzz arrived, he thought he thought it was a planet? I know, right? Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> they bonded. Yes, they did. And so, like, they he's trying to best best to explain this whole thing. And eventually Forky agrees to not try to commit suicide and to go back to Bonnie. Um, but when they're on their way to the RV park, they go past an antique store and Woody notices Bo Peep's lamp in the antique store, but she's not anywhere near it. And I want to know how beautiful of a scene that was too, because I love really good cinematography, right? Mm-hmm. And um, just because uh, he's, he finds himself in front of this uh, antique shop and then notices these uh, light reflections on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then stops and slowly turns around to see her lamp in the window rotating. They had these little cut out holes in the lampshade that was reflecting on the ground. It's a really nicely done, you know, cue for him to turn around that he recognized it. Yes, yes, indeed. With all the emotional impact in there. So he goes to the antique shop, him and Forky, and this is where um, he meets Gabby Gabby. Gabby Gabby is a toy from the 50s like Woody, but um, she was defective out of the box. Her, um, she's supposed to be able to speak, but she can't because her um, voice box doesn't work properly. Um, and so she basically, more or less, is the I don't know, the godfather, the godmother of the uh, antique shop, and she has a whole lot of um, um, marionette. Um, uh, what do what do you call them? A ventriloquist dummy minions. Hell demons. They're just little <laughs> hell demons. Oh. They move like nightmares. When they move, I like... <laughs> God. Am I watching a, a Resident Evil game? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, uh, kudos to the animation department, seriously, because I Woo! really love good, funny animation. And uh, the way they move and, like, just the timing on how they, like, turn their heads and, like, the little... little uh, Jaw would just kind of drop down. Because the running joke is that since they're ventriloquist dummies, they can't talk without someone making them talk. So they're just these silent, weird henchmen that just kind of turn 
and drop their little jaw and occasionally make this weird sound like rah, rah, or kind of thing. Oh my God. It's just nightmare fuel, but hilarious nightmare fuel. Yes. God, the way they move, <laughs> the, the way the way they move their feet, just shuffling along uh, like that. Uh, like oh Professor God. X walking upstairs, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this movie healed me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah. And so what Gabby Gabby wants to do is to take uh, Woody's voice box because his works and has always worked. And because her idea is that if she gets the voice box, um, Harmony, who is the granddaughter of the owner of the antique shop, will finally play with her and, and she'll become Harmony's toy. Because nobody will love this woman unless she gets implants is what she's thinking. That's a good point. That's that's throwing oh, wow. it out there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't think of that. Wow. <laughs> and it's I really do love her character arc because she has this broken idea because she's really not a villain in the end, right? I mean, she's just someone that wants to be a part of something that right. she feels she's never had. And so she keeps thinking that she's not good enough just the way she is. And if she gets this missing part, then finally she'll have what she's looking for. So right. So implants. <laughs> so he escapes. <laughs> But Forky is kidnapped. And so this antique shop is in the same town as the RV park where Bonnie and her parents are. And in between the two locations is a carnival, a traveling carnival. At the There's a playground that is nearby. And that's where Woody ends up. And a whole bunch of kids from a bus that, is, that are visiting the, um, the, car, the RV park all show up and just start, you know, playing with all the toys, and it's like a stampede. But it turns out that one of the toys that's also sort of kind of hanging out in this sandbox is Bo Peep. And it's a great moment where they meet for the first time in in nine years, where they they can't speak because they're being played with by these two different kids. I but, love it. I love that. And so... I was, it, I was, like, crying. Like, you don't even know. Like, I'm just like, oh! <laughs> They meet, they meet like traditional toys meet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. Like just. <laughs> yeah. And so they finally um, get a chance to talk and it turns out that Bo Peep has become, she's basically become like a roaming nomad. Like, you know, like, you know, she's um, turned her um, outfit into a jumpsuit and a backpack and a cape. And she, God, she has, I... she has a skunk toy car for transport and Woody's like why is skunk and when they jump around skunk 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 how I am just just completely taken by this revamped Bo Peep she's Lara Croft Bo Peep what's going on what is going it was like the same vibe from like Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel. Here was this fully fleshed out character, and it didn't matter who she was. You know, like who was just a woman doing this? Like she was just a really cool character, and I love Annie Cox. Love her so much. Um, from like a designing woman and from a Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, right? You know, like Ghostbusters. You know, yeah. just, uh, it's her. I was I forgot to say I forgot Ali's never seen Ghostbusters. So, so. I have oh. seen. Ghostbusters. She's Janine. You remember Janine, the um, the um, the receptionist who's always had, who's always talking shit. That's that's Andy Potts. I have seen. I have seen Ghostbusters. It may not be a 
of my own volition, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> but yeah, and, and, yeah. In, inside of her little skunk thing, she's got all these like tools for helping repair elder toys and everything. Um, and did she? A sheep. Her sheep. I love her sheep. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Billy Goat <laughs> and Gruff. Even though Woody can't remember the names of them sheep. Them sheep. Listen, that side out of sheep gave Woody oh. is going to be a meme. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, yo. <laughs> If looks could kill. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we beat Combat Carl, Combat Carl, and um, Combat Carl's idiot brother, Combat Carl, apparently, because... <laughs> Stop doing that to him. Give him a high five, somebody. Because they're, they're, oh. they're, they're out there, a hot, a Combat Carl's are high five, but they never give the um the one in the, like, the winter outfit the high five. <laughs> he keeps going up for it and just walks oh away at God. one point. I was so upset. I was so I upset. Just, twice. He went for it twice. And he was, he's like, don't leave it hanging. He's just so, his face drops. Like, like he just killed that puppy we were talking about earlier in front of that poor guy. He didn't get the one thing he needed in his life. And that was that high five. That haunted me for yes. the last hour was, of that movie. Was, y'all better give this man a high five. God damn it. He is oh doing his God. best. <laughs> and Bo also, Carl Weathers. Yes, Carl Weathers. Ashton Jackson himself. <laughs> and um, um, Apollo Creed. Uh, Bo Peep also, yep, also has a friend named, named um, Giggle McDimples, voiced by <laughs> Allie Mackey, who's, she's basically like, she's basically Polly Pocket for all of us older um, people who remember Polly Pocket toys from the 90s. Uh, Very, female uh, Mighty Max, if you're not familiar. Yes. <laughs> I barely knew who Mighty Max was, though. I just knew Polly Pocket. In a cartoon. Yeah, I, I only knew from the cartoon. And the cartoon came out like years after the toys, apparently. Great. Tony Jay was in it. It's great. The fact that she got introduced and she 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 hopped her little self down and then got in the car <laughs> and drove around. Drove around. <laughs> I was like, you better do it the way it was advertised on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Or you end up being thrown away in Canada, apparently. Right. <laughs> it was, I, I loved every character in this movie. I yes. Say. And so, like, Bo Peep is basically telling um, Woody that, you know, like, you don't have to have just one kid like Andy or Bonnie. You know, you can have, you can, ha- you can be many things to many kids. You know, you can help kids find toys. You can, you know, have, have um, you know, have more than one playtime experience in a day with different kids. You know, you can see the world. And to prove her point, she climbs, has him climb on top of the, um, one of the tents at the carnival. And they see like, one probably like one of the largest vistas you see in these movies where you just see like the whole world and kids playing at the carnival. And so, but Woody's no, not convinced. He feels his duty to return to Bonnie, even though Bonnie hasn't really, you know, played with him at all. Meanwhile, Forky is hanging out with um, 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 Gabby Gabby. And <laughs> Forky is just telling all his, all the business that he does not need to be, be telling at the moment. About- oh, yeah. It was like he was at a salon or something. And, like, yeah. and then this happened. And then this happened. <laughs> yeah, Bonnie doesn't even play with him anymore. He's trash just like I am. <laughs> trash. Listen, when you're out here and you're having a sip of lemonade with, with your new friend, there's nothing else to do but to just talk trash. <laughs> 
So Woody begs for help and he gets it from Bo Peep. Bo Peep decides that, you know, to help him um, go back and save Forky for Bonnie's sake. And so they're making a plan of what they're going to do. And, but the problem, one problem here is that Woody's not listening to Bo Peep because he's so used to being in charge. You know, there's a whole message about, you know, like, listen to women. It was literally what Ali leaned over in the chair and told me. <laughs> um, in addition, Buzz leaves the rest of the gang behind, which everybody else, all the other toys kind of get short shrift in this because this is a Woody yeah. Bo Peep story. But that's that's fine, I think, for this because it's Woody's story. It started with Woody's emotional story in part one. This is Woody's emotional story in part three. I mean, part four. And so Buzz go, tries to maneuver his way across the the um the carnival and the whole time he's because Woody was telling him about his conscience before his inner voice and so Buzz misunderstands he keeps playing um his um voice commands on his um chest for his own inner voice and the, the funny joke of the movie is that each command is actually accurate <laughs> I did appreciate that that was kind that was that was quite funny it's the roundabout way, like, yes. you know, to infinity and beyond. Oh, yeah, I should go outside and go look around. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Interpretation of it, yeah. And so he ends up um, being um, basically kidnapped by one of the um, carnival barkers, his teenage, this teenager or young adult, basically, who puts him up as a prize on, like, you know, like the um, one of those hit the duck, uh, the moving duck things. And... He, there he draws the ire of um, Bun and Ducky, the King and Peel characters, because they were they thought they felt like they were the prize toys on this wall beforehand. And here comes Buzz Lightyear, celebrity toy, to take that all away from them. They're not having it, and so Ducky is trying his best to kick the shit out of Buzz Lightyear. They end up um, f- uh, falling off of the. Um, <laughs> display and they're mad because now they'll never get um to have a kid who will adopt them. But eventually they make their way over to um the antique store when they realize when Buzz realizes that's where Woody is. And so they end up joining basically with um Bo Peep and um and Woody for the whole mission to try to save Forky. Um what I like too about that is that um I forgot that like there are toys like like them that are fused together like that. Yeah. It makes for even better comedy because Key and Peel come as a package. And so it was really interesting and fun to actually display them literally joined like that. <laughs> Plus rush. Right. And so they need help with this plan because they had to get in so like, because um, Gabby Gabby's lair is like the big gigantic glass cabinet inside of the antique store, which is locked. And so what they need is they need somebody to help them jump across and need also to get the key as well. And so Bo Peep goes to get somebody to help them jump across while the others try to figure out how to get the key. So to get the key part right now, this is just goddamn ridiculous and it was funny as shit. This is, but it, like, um, this is um, Key and Peel keep suggesting all of these ways to attack the poor old lady who owns this antique store to get the to snatch the key from her. The key! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, the way We're not they, doing that. The way they get it is just because the key, like the dish she puts the key in is directly right in front of them on the shelf. 
It was very difficult, Buzz lies to them. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bo Peep goes to the secret underground club at the antique store where we see Tin Toy is the doorman. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and, Looking very good. Yes. Very, very good right now. <laughs> and that's where they meet Duke New, um, Duke Kaboom, Kaboom, who is um, a toy from the 1970s that's obviously based on Evil Knievel. You know, he's the best stuntman from Canada. And his um, his kid, Rajon, basically um, abandoned him after he realized that Duke Kaboom couldn't jump as far as the version of the toy in the commercial. <laughs> it's funny because Duke is like, it's a commercial! It's not real! <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> I, I just, I can't because, because Keanu Reeves is acting, okay? He yes. is he's doing everything. He's putting his all into his character and I love it. I and love you it. know what's funny too? Um, I read actually that uh, Keanu Reeves was hired to do that role before they knew that he actually was from Canada and loves motorcycles. <laughs> wow. He has no motorcycle company and everything. He's been writing forever. Like, wow. <laughs> they accidentally naturally wrote Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and it came out at the perfect time. It came out after um, John Wick 3 and I'll Always Be My Maybe. Oh, they timed it. It's just like how they got Lin-Manuel Miranda right before yes. everyone else knew. Yes. <laughs> they knew. They knew. <laughs> they definitely did. And so they have to try to make the jump. You know, like basically Duke Kaboom, you know, he's a, a toy with a motorcycle at a motorcycle ramp. And he's going to try to make this jump across to the cabinet. Before they do that, though, Bo Peep and Woody are climbing to the highest cab- adjacent cabinet so they can put set up for the whole thing. And and um, they take a time to look at, like, all these chandeliers that are inside of the antique store. And Bo Peep comments that this is the only part of the store she liked when she first got there. But after two years of sitting on a shelf, she decided this is not for me. And she left. Because she wanted to live a different life. But so she and she puts Woody and Duke Kaboom to do the jump. Um, Woody makes it across. Duke does not. Duke ends up on the ground. He has to basically try to um, dodge the cat, and he literally says to the cat, "What's new, pussycat?" As he's dry, as he's driving off his motorcycle. <laughs> whoa, whoa, I, whoa! I leaned over to Ali and said, "They wrote that joke just for me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm the only person in this theater who was going to laugh at this. <laughs> If it helps any, I laughed at mine. You're the only person who laughed at yours, too. (laughs) I was like, wow. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to remember what happens next. This is where they do the little chase thing where they're trying to find, they're being chased by those um, hideous. the cat, too. Yeah, the cat, too, because the cat eats toys. (laughs) <laughs> that didn't look right. I don't know what it was about that cat. That's, that's my one little nitpicky complaint. That something with the cat's face or something that looked right. I don't know. But I mean, it's, great. it's a cartoony sort of a cat. It's like it's somewhere between car- too cartoony and too real. It's like that uncanny valley sort of a thing. I think yeah, it's what it is. maybe that was it. Like it didn't really fit. It was somewhere in between everything else in design or something. Maybe yeah, but. and it was quite fluffy, almost distractingly <laughs> yes. so. Um, and so. They are trying to get um, um to get away from all of this. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is that happens. I, I know that Woody saves Forky. He refuses to give his, his um his voice box. 
Yeah, they're they're really trying to tear at it too. Yeah, they're, they're trying to tear at it and, and, and pull it out. And uh, he almost gets Forky out, and then um, it just they're pretty much overwhelmed by um, all the ventriloquist dummies and the cat and just everything going on. So uh, the team basically barely makes it out. Yeah. Um, but ends up having to leave Forky behind because he gets uh, dropped or pulled back or something. I uh, right. don't remember exactly, but. Yeah, that, yeah, he ends up getting um cat kidnapped again, and the team makes it out. And I do remember also that one of Bo Peep's sheep, um, they oh, lose, yeah. they they get chipped and lose part of their one of their feet. Yeah. Oh, I and the entire theater um, gasped. I did too. Yeah. Uh, it, it got <laughs> to a point. Oh, sorry. Go, no, go ahead, Tammy. Oh, I was going to say just that. Um, it got to a point in the battle where Bo Peep's like, "Look, we're not going to win. We got to just you know cut our losses and get out, or we're not getting out." And Woody's like, no, can't leave the toy behind and kept going. And because he didn't listen to her, more things went wrong. And right. that's why the sheep lost one of its little feet. Poor thing. So I wanted to point out a couple of things. I also wanted to just marvel at how they, not only how they designed um, the fabric for her, for um, Bo Peep, but her, because the fact that Bo Peep and uh, Woody Woody's a rag doll with a plastic face and Bo Peep is all porcelain, like her body. And I really like how the light plays on her face. She really does look like she's breakable. It looks like a delicate toy. It, it doesn't look like a toy. It's like, it's more like an ornament. Like Bo Peep is not to play with. She's an ornament that is supposed yeah. to be stuck in the lamp. So, and that's a nice, that's a nice yeah. commentary where she was designed just to be an ornament, but she right. wanted more than that, right? Exactly. Right. So Woody goes back in alone. And I really like, so this is where Pixar shows us that they're better than us. Because you expect like a big like villain battle or whatever like that. But what ends up happening is that Woody, is that Gabby, Gabby makes her emotional case to Woody about how she wants Harmony to play with her. And the only way that she felt she could ever do that is if she had a working voice box. You know, and, you know, she was, she's never worked for 60 years. She's been reading the books that are associated with her brand and seeing how the child plays with her in the book, but it never happens in real life. And she just begs and she, Woody agrees. It's just like, just let me leave with Forky. And so the creepy um, ventriloquist dummies take uh, operate on Woody. They take out his voice box and they give it to Gabby Gabby, and her voice box works now. And so they let they let um, Woody and Forky go. But it turns out, though, that um, when Harmony comes in to play with... Wait, um, Brandon, before you, before you get to that scene, though, I just want to point out another part that I really liked, liked about this is the, the scene that really got to me before the scene that's coming up is when... When Gabby looks longingly at um, at Harmony when she's in the store and she's about to to do tea time, yeah, and she miming tea time because she's read these books so many times, she pretends that she herself is having is doing tea, and of course, of course, it's all fake, obviously, but it's just the not really the desperation, but. This is what she wants. This is the only thing that she wants. And the fact that she's not getting it and she has to resign herself to being inside of a glass cabinet and pretending like she's actually there with Harmony, it's just, oh my God, that hit me really hard. 
because it, it started to peel back the, the villainous layer for me, even before the scene that you're about to, right. you know. Like, yeah, and, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, it really shows that um, the bigger thing, too, is that we realized that he actually never tried before to even try to connect with this kid because she didn't think he was good enough. Like, right. that she tried and they didn't like her because she was missing her voice back. She assumed from the beginning that she was broken and nobody would like her until that was fixed before even knowing really if that was true. This is a perfect contrast to Duke Kaboom, who had a kid who didn't want it because he didn't meet the expectations of the kid. Gabby Gabby hasn't even tried with Harmony yet. And she's she's been perfecting it like her craft, quote unquote, for a long time. So that's why the next scene that's going to happen, my brand's going to explain, is even, it's like even more heart-wrenching. Yeah. Because she was, she was so scared of failure. He didn't want to even try until he thought everything was absolutely perfect. So there's no way it was not going to work. Right. So then when this next scene happens, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Added to also remember the fact that she, she, Purposefully, it seems like a routine of hers. She reapplies the the paint on her face. Yeah, everything about Gabby is perfect. The hair is perfectly curled. Her her clothes are always neat. She's a Brandon said it himself. Brandon said she's a a doll from the. Is you said the fifties? Yeah, her and Woody are about about the same age. And she is spotless, <laughs> right? Oh, she's like a Stepford wife baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just everything has to be perfect presentation. Like you just have to have this. You know, you can't really be emotional. You can't really express what you really want. It's just all very, like, on the surface, right? Right. And it all goes to pot because when Harmony does end up, um, you know, playing, like, seeing Gabby Gabby for the first time because she puts herself on the shelf in a, like, a conspicuous place, you know, she decides not, not to play with her. You know, like, uh, she throws her into a box and just and leaves. And so Woody can't let that just sit. And so he convinces Gabby Gabby to leave with him and Forky to go play, be one of Bonnie's toys. I'm oh. sorry. I need to pause for a second. Mm-hmm. Because when Harmony just... When Harmony unceremoniously just drops Gabby into that box, every fiber of my being wanted to say, Fuck you, Harmony! It's a child, <laughs> Ollie. Right? It's a little girl. I can't just... Do that! No! Why would you? I was surprised. I was uh, definitely surprised. The way she just Ooh. dropped her in there, like what the like crap? Trash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like trash. Like, trash. Oh, I just felt so. Oh, it was. It was really hard. I'm sorry. That was really hard to watch. Like. Ugh. And that's what's amazing about what Pixar did with storytelling here. They made you feel terrible for the villain absolutely terrible and just really sympathize with what that character was going through. God, it was like, you heard the thud too? Like, <laughs> yeah. Really? Sound design. Jesus. Yep. And so she leaves with all the rest of them because they're trying to get back to the RV. The other toys that basically manipulated it so that, because um, Jesse pokes a hole in the tire to flatten it so that Bonnie's parents can't leave until Woody comes back. And that has to say some words. <laughs> yes. Honey, we had to go. Daddy has to say some words right now. 
<laughs> and so he has to replace the tire, which delays him a couple of hours. And then when they're actually finally leaving, the um, they 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 come up with a plan to basically hijack the um, to pretend that it's they're they're the GPS and call out fake directions to take them back to the carnival. I loved it all the way up <laughs> to the um to the merry-go-round. Which, you know, it was funny because when he's like, "We'll be at the merry-go-round." The what? The merry-go-round? You know the uh, the um thing with the horses and the lights? Oh, you mean the carousel? <laughs> so he's now a man of the world. Yes. Clearly, while someone was locked in a cabinet, they had all the time to learn. All- <laughs> on the all shelf at Walmart. <laughs> Trash. <laughs> and that GPS bit, though, every time they yelled that recalculating, oh. Because <laughs> it's real, because you there. feel it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> and um, the little um, unicorn toy kept suggesting that we do something to put the dad in jail. And when this car is driving, <laughs> basically, because they start driving the car themselves, they start manipulating the pedals, and the police are up behind them. And the unicorn toy is like, "Dad is totally going to jail." <laughs> and I, 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 I think Ali, leaned over, uh, and we both were like, "Racism." <laughs> <laughs> You are not going to let this brown father go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the voice of the unicorn? I haven't looked that up yet. I'm trying to figure out which was unicorn's name is. I don't even know what his name is. There's way too many oh. characters on his list. But he was definitely part of, he was definitely the original cast of Bonnie's Toys, right? Yeah. I, from Toy I think the only originals are, for Bonnie, are Rex, the the pony, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the unicorn. And what is the name of the ragdoll that is the sort of the coordinator for the group in the Dolly. room? Dolly. Yeah, the mayor. Dolly. It's just Dolly? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I had a bear named Barry, so I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can. I find love that it. unicorn because every time they had a soft time, they'd always come. Oh, Buttercup! Is the unicorn's What's name? Um, but yeah. Um, Did you find his voice, or? Oh, Jeff Garland. Oh, uh, he's a comedian, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was just great. Every time they're selling for time, he's just suggesting to get the dad arrested for a crime he did not commit. <laughs> <laughs> I have my eye on you, Buttercup. <laughs> right? He plays the dad on the Goldbergs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so as they're, tra- so they're as trying they're to get, get to the carousel. <laughs> yes, they're, they're on their way to the carousel, and on their way, though, they see a little girl who is lost. And this lost little girl, Bonnie decides that, you know, instead of, um, being Bonnie, um, not Bonnie. Um, Yabby Gabby decides instead of being Bonnie's toy, maybe this is the little girl for her. And so she goes down there, you know, it's like you know, like and looks present, and it works. You know, the little girl um, was like, "Are you lost too?" I wish somebody would find us. And she sees the security uh, officer, and gets back to her parents, and then Bonnie so- ha- and Gabby Gabby has a new family. So I got a note about this. <laughs> And maybe it's just me, but it really uh, registered to me at that moment that all of a sudden, this is the first time we're having minority human characters in the movie. And they're all now in the same scene because it was the parents and the kid and the cop. Oh, my God. I mean, Bonnie's Bonnie's dad counts. Bonnie's dad counts. Tammy. Bonnie's dad counts, (laughs) y'all. Tammy is literally in my head because that is exactly what I thought. 
It felt, it felt Wendy, Vaughn, uh, Tammy, you're talking about the 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 um the the aerial aerial shot of 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 her meeting her 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 parents, and you realizing that, dang, both parents. Then the security guard that was talking to the parents. So it's wow. That was just I don't. It was just a weird grouping, you know. Yeah, like but, all of a sudden, like for some end, reason, with I his, think it's just with this very white doll. I think it's because we just haven't seen so many minorities in in one group in a in a in an animated. Well, there there was like, there was some black kids in the um in the kindergarten orientation. I was looking at the heads to make to see how they did with the texturing of the hair just, and the rendering that like the, what the simulation looked like. You know, I don't. I don't like think there's really. Oh, sorry. Keep going. So I, was, I was just going to say, like, when it comes to, like, adults, like, just meeting and just casually talking, whatever, like, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, it just seemed odd. Like, I was like, wow, hell, there are quite a few POCs in this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know why it just, it just struck me at that very moment because they all were in one little group together there. And yeah. there's something that I noticed. It's not, like, it's not a bad thing or whatever. I was just saying that my mind, my <laughs> mind triggered me at that moment and made me think, that it's more prominent than it, you know, it just, you know, it stood out to me. And I don't know what it was about that scene because it wasn't like an obviously bad scene or anything. It was just, um, for some reason, just, uh, it just seemed like, oh, did Pixar just suddenly remember they didn't have enough and they're putting <laughs> them all in now to meet their quota? Like, I don't know because I wasn't really paying attention to after missed the movie. It didn't really register me. And I usually don't sit there counting like, okay, how many do we have in this scene? So usually it, everything feels balanced i guess it was all of a sudden it's like hey everybody here <laughs> isn't that and, and the thing funny thing is honestly that shouldn't be how my mind so, i know like i shouldn't <laughs> i i by right i shouldn't be like huh well that's people. different yeah, yeah, like, maybe, maybe that scene awesome. maybe that scene was done after they got rid of john lasseter <laughs> i'm just, I'm yeah, just but, jokes, i want to know jokes. rashida jones Oh, was a writer on this movie? Yes, she was. She she quit the movie um, at some point early, not early in Velvet, Super Velvet, but like while it was like a a good six or eight months before they decided to um, fire John Lasseter because oh, wow. you know, reports came out about him basically sexually harassing all the women who worked at Pixar and at Disney in general because he so was supposed. Oh. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just gonna. I believe she's on record for saying that was unrelated to why he left. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said it wasn't that. It was creative differences instead. But, like, it was like, you know, like, when they first announced that she was writing, I was like, oh, that's great. And then she wasn't anymore. I was like, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, like, you know, John Lasseter left because he was supposed to direct this because he had directed the first two, but Lee Unrich did part three. He was going to do part four, him and Josh Cooley. And Josh Cooley became the sole director after, after John Lasseter was taking it out of Pixar. Which, to be perfectly honest, by the time he left, he if he had fought for, there, I mean, there's no director arbitration when it's animation, but if it had been a DGA live action movie, he could have fought for and won director's credit. But because I mean, it was that so close to it, so it was like, yeah. But I, you know, that's not going to look good because I mean, he's you know, well, for, it would have been negative press in the marketing. Yes, of it, it would have. So it was always best to separate him from the movie as much as possible. He still gets story credit, but you know, to like basically like not have him be anywhere near like the press tours, the premiere, any of that stuff. Yeah. Like Louis C.K. and Pets. Yes. 
<laughs> my land. And so when it's finally time for uh, Buzz, I mean, for Woody to go back to Buzz and the others, he is given the... Um, it's clear that he doesn't want to leave Bo Peep, but he feels like he has to. And Buzz tells Woody, Woody, it's okay. She'll be okay. And he thinks he's talking about Bo Peep. No, Bonnie will be okay. Go. You know, I like, love that. I love the whole, like, you know, it, it wasn't just about, like, oh, yeah, Bo Peep's time. Don't worry about Bo Peep. It was just, I don't know. Something about the way that scene played out with him saying that was just really great. Yes. And so the other toys come and say goodbye to Woody. And, you know, it gives, like, you know, these hugs and everything. And gives Jesse his star to be the sheriff. And then Forky comes. They had assigned Forky to door duty to keep the parents out the door. <laughs> and then Forky comes up and is like, wait a minute, who's watching the door? And so the car, the van just starts careening. Everybody has to jump back inside and land back on the desk. <laughs> and um, Woody and Bo Peep... Um, they kiss underneath um, um, a nice hazy backdrop of the carnival. And it's a nice, sweet, happy ending. And I have to say, somebody's put a, uh, what they thought was a spoiler on Reddit talking about Bo Peep dies at the end of the movie. So I was on edge <laughs> the entire picture. And I just want to say that, say to that person who probably would never hear this, but even if they do, fuck you, bastard. Downvote. Downvote, Down indeed. <laughs> Shit. Go back to Reddit right now and don't for them. <laughs> Love it. That is it. I had no idea you were on pins and needles the entire time. Why are you Aww. like this? <laughs> I thought, the, okay, I mean, after the Toy Story 3 shit, I didn't know what was going to happen, but it's a happy, nice ending. You know what? Listen, valid, valid. I totally, I totally, uh, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It was a nice, happy ending. Uh, they end up being traveling with the carnival. Woody and Bo Peep and um and Ducky and Bunny. And so like they're basically going around helping um these toys find homes that are part of the carnival. You know, helping kids win toys by cheating at the carnival. Games. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I love it because really when it comes down to the Toy Story series, Woody's the heart of it, right? Yes. Buzz is kind of like the comedic relief, but the heart and soul of what it means to be a toy and be connected to someone. It's all about Woody and what he's going through. And so there's, you know, well, like, you want to think like, oh, he's having new adventures with Bonnie. Like, it's even more beautiful that he's out there all around the world saving toys. Yes. Essentially. Like, oh. oh. He's like a, he's like a, like a traveling superhero of to- for right? toys. It's just, <laughs> it's just so nice. Which makes sense because he's, he's out here with Lara Croft, um, Bo Peep. Yes. yes. And she likes to go um, um, touring the world too, saving people, so... Yeah, yeah. Yep, and we yeah, see- and he was never like, you know, he was never like, oh, you should leave this behind and come be with Bonnie with me. Like, he was just, he had always accepted, once he knew what she wanted to do, he right. accepted her choice. Ah, it's great. Treating people with respect. What great storytelling. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and so, like the, like, the credits play out, and there's, like, little inner credit sequences basically showing them on the road. And one more of these wacky Ducky and Bunny um, fantasy <laughs> sequences where they're just, they're going to turn to gigantic, like, like kaiju um, toy <laughs> monsters and shoot lasers, lasers out of their eyes to, to destroy the carnival barker. <laughs> you guys have lasers in your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, at this point in the movie, we're all feeling it, right? This lack of emotional resolution. Yes, because the third <laughs> uh, combat Carl has still not got his high five. None. And so... 
You have to stay through the entire rest of the movie until the very end in credits. This is the Pixar logo when um, Duke Kaboom shows up <laughs> and finally, and, and, and you know, nice on the eye like, like Luxo Jr. usually does and finally <laughs> gives Combat Carl his high five and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> and, yes, he Canada. Yes. And we were the only people in our theater who was still there to, to see that, that emotional payoff. And I'm glad, yeah. we, I'm glad we, made, we, we stayed. We stayed so many times after credits in theaters that nowadays when I look around, I don't even, I don't even, I'm not even shocked anymore that no one's here but us. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, what's really a contrasting here in Burbank in California, um, it's so many industry people. I think maybe that's why there's always people in the credits just are looking either for themselves or their family or friends. Or right. whatnot. And what's wonderful is they clap a lot, either during people they see during the credits yes. or during the movie itself when good stuff's happening. <laughs> very I involved and very, like, because, like, you know, they're applauding people they actually know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so... It's t- Karen from accounting! <laughs> <laughs> I literally saw that in Florida when I saw Brother Bear. It was, a, it was like, a lady who worked in accounting showing her name on the credits oh. during the, the development team section of the wait, credits. I thought, wait a second, I thought you didn't want to see Brother Bear. I saw it in the theater. That's why I don't want to see it anymore. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, I thought you didn't want to see it, like, even before. Like, I I didn't think that was... I saw it out of duty to 2D animation. Oh, (laughs) okay. And that's the only reason to see that movie, because you're guy. Oh, Rick Moranis is pretty great. Yeah, 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 he is. But that's it. That's it. I've never seen Brother Bear 2. Don't. Um, <laughs> so, Toy Story 4 opened to $118 million this, this weekend, which is below the 130 that Disney said they want, They thought it would make. So, now everybody's going, um, underperformance, flop, what's happening, sequelitis, blah, blah, blah. Uh, People, it made $100 million. Yeah, Can and we- it's a really busy season right now. Come yes. on. <laughs> it's still, like, the highest grossing, worldwide, the highest grossing animated opening ever. It's like 238, oh, wow. I think it is. So yeah. I think people need to really calm down with all that. And, you know, I think this movie's going to have really positive word of mouth, though. Yes. Because you never know with these sequels. I think once word gets out that, hey, it wasn't bad, go see it. It's a nice resolution. I think we'll keep doing well, hopefully, for yeah. the next few weeks. So Spider-Man's coming, so. Yep. Superheroes, Marvel superheroes. Let's be clear. <laughs> yes, the ones we enjoy. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah. So opening. Wait, hold on. Where's the buttons? Button, button, buttons. Opening on the same day as Toy Story Four is a different movie about toys uh, <laughs> that do different things than the toys in Toy Story. Um, that would be the remake of Child's Play. So there's a bit, there's um, background here is important because what MG has basically done is they have um, muddied the waters as far as like Chucky, the Chucky Child's Play franchise is concerned. So way back in 1988, when my buddy was like one of the top popular toys in America, um, MGM United Artists made Child's Play, a movie written by Don Mancini that he wrote the first draft of when he was at in film school and produced by David Kirshner, the creator of An American Tale and Once Upon a Forest. Oh, wow. Yes. David Kirshner wow. ran the feature department at Hanna-Barbera in the early 90s after making Child's Play. 
Huh. Mouse quits. Yes. <laughs> and they made this movie about this uh, serial killer named Charles Lee Ray. Charles because of Charles Manson, Lee because of Lee Harvey Oswald, and Ray because of James Earl Ray, who he apparently learned voodoo from a Haitian guy, even though he's quite white. Um, and he uses huh. that voodoo when he's, been, when he's on a shootout escaping from the police, ends up in a toy store. He's been morally wounded, so he takes a toy good guy doll, which is their proxy for my buddy, and he says this magic um, voodoo spell that sends out a lightning bolt that basically transfers his soul into the doll. Wow, I'm getting kind of like a Weekend at Birdies 2 vibe. Yeah. From this, uh, I love that movie, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And so what ends up happening is that Karen, this like um, working class single mother, wants to get her six-year-old son Andy a toy, but she can't afford it. He wants a good guy because he's obsessed with the good guy TV show that's associated with this um, toy, which was animated for the movie by Ruby Spears Productions. Remember Ruby Spears Productions, producers of um, Alvin and the Chipmunks? Oh, wow. Yes. And Mr. Oh. T. Mr. T! Da, 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 da. <laughs> but um, you're not singing the My Buddy theme song? Like, My Buddy. My, my buddy. <laughs> Whenever he goes, we go. My buddy oh. and me. Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, and so she ends up buying this good guy doll on the black market. Basically, like, but in a literal alleyway from some rando in the alleyway. Another um, Craigslist sale movie. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and so this toy um, becomes Andy's friend and talks to Andy. Nobody, uh, nobody believes that Andy's actually talking to the toy. Neither the audience nor at home watching or the theater watching or the people in the movie until the toy decides he doesn't like Andy's aunt who's babysitting him. Because how he was man, how she was manhandling the toy, and so of one mallet to the head, she goes careening out the window to her death. And they, um, the mom and the police, and the mom asks Andy what happened, and he says Chucky did it, and she's like, "What? Why?" Well, he said that Aunt Mikey was a real bitch, and he didn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Chucky uses Andy to take him around town so he can go and get revenge first on the other guys in his gang who left him for dead at the toy store. And then later on to get revenge on the detective who tried to kill him at at the toy store. Basically, uh, and then it turns out that Karen gets the doll and realizes the doll has no battery. So how is it talking and moving around? And um, it's like, and, she, and so she starts dangling it over the fire and says, talk. I know you can do it. Talk, talk. You dirty bitch. Ah, crunch. Ah, starts biting her and like she's fighting the doll and everything because the doll is alive. <laughs> Oof. This is where Brad Dorf as the voice of Chucky comes in for real and he's cussing up a storm. He's scary and everything. He's running around in fast motion. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> He also goes to um, kill the um, the old Haitian man who taught him the um, incantation after learning from him what to do because when he tried to confront the cop, the cop um, stabbed him and he, um, and he uh, punched him or whatever. He got a bloody nose. The longer he stays in a body, even an artificial body, apparently, the more human he becomes to the point where he can't get out. 
is the only way he can do that is by t- possessing the body of the person that he first told his secret, which was Andy. So he's got to go. He tries to go back and like knock Andy out and take um, possession of Andy's body. The, the, the detective and the mom um, end up stopping him. And so that's Toy Story One, and I mean, not Toy Story Christ, Child's Play One in a nutshell. No, that's no, 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 no. That's Toy Story One. That's pretty much all. <laughs> uh, Child's Play One was a big hit as a horror movie, and it got decent reviews. Um, however, MGM UA tried to sell themselves to an Australian company called Quintex in 1989, uh, a mere weeks before Child's Play Two was going to be um, start filming. Uh, the dude who ran Quintex hated horror movies and thought the idea of a killer toy doll was um, abhorrent and immoral. Like Ali does. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, and so MGM tried, MGM ended up selling the rights to, to, to Child's Play sequels. Not the original movie, but to the sequels. Um, off back to Don Mancini and to David Kirshner. They found Universal as their new distributor, and Child's Play 2 came out in 1990 from Universal, where Andy's now a foster kid because the mom gave him up. Um, well, had to give him up. And so he ends up with um, a new family and Chucky, uh, who they repaired at the good guy factory to try to prove that the, the doll wasn't actually a killer. Stupid people goes out to find Andy where his new place and he tries to attack um Andy's foster family. I think he kills the foster parents, but the sister and Andy band together to try to fight Chucky at the good guy factory. Uh and so Chucky ends up being destroyed at the good guy factory because they explode his head. They fill it with like um whatever gas they use to help like make the dolls. Because in that one, he had stayed in the body too long. When he did the spell, he did it all the way through, but it didn't work because he had stayed in the body too long. He was so angry. He was just going to kill Andy instead. But he dies at the end of that one, of course. Then Child's Play 3, um, they're cleaning up the fucking factory because they're going to make good guys again 10 years later. And they take the the chart remains of the Chucky doll and like, Claw him, claw, claw it, and like sort of kind of hoist it over by hanging claw of the factory, and some of the blood from inside the doll gets into the doll mixture and makes a new Chucky. Very contrived, folks. He oh. finds a now seventeen or so year old Andy um, in military school, but in this one, he ends up. Um, Andy has this like this little black kid who's like he has to t- watch at military school, and Chucky ends up telling him the secret, and so Chucky's gonna try to possess the black kid, and it's the whole thing over again where they're trying to fight. He ends up, Chucky ends up being chopped up by some blades inside of a factory, for some reason. It's not it's not it's not it's not particularly good. Then you have a uh, bride wow. of Chucky in nineteen ninety eight eight, where his ex-girlfriend played by Jennifer Tilly comes and takes the pieces of the, of the doll and reanimates it. And because for whatever reason he, oh yeah, because it turns out that he didn't like her anymore. And so she decides to try to kill him 
but he ends up killing her and puts her soul into a doll. And so now they're out and they can just go, go out and kill people together. That, of course, this one's more of a parody because there's a very notable scene where Chucky doll and the, um, and the, the Tiffany doll um, have sex with each other on camera. And she asks him, wait, don't you need a rubber? And he says, baby, I'm rubber all over. And they keep fucking. I would laugh so hard if that's the movie that won a one, like, best picture. And Eisner <laughs> just died inside. <laughs> if that's what spurred him. <laughs> in the sequel, Seed of Chucky, which came out, I think, in 2003 or four, um, they have a child who is named either Glenn or Glenda because the child doesn't know what gender it is. It's a jo- it's the Edward joke because Glenn Glenda Glenn or Glenda is the Edward movie, and you know they're out you know trying to kill people and everything, but the kid doesn't want to kill, and so it's this very very silly stuff. Um, after that, Don Mancini revived Chucky in two director video sequels, Curse Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, which basically returned the franchise to doing more horror based things. Uh, I haven't seen either of those, but I do know when they put out Code of Chucky in 2017, they did a, um, a viral campaign where they had a poster and they had a little person dressed up as Chucky come through the poster and scare whoever sat at the bus stop next to the poster. Not very nice. People screamed and ran for their lives <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> so... When I was five years old, I had a My Buddy doll. Uh, when I was five years old as well, a Child's Play came out in movie theaters. When I was five and a half, it came out on HBO or six. When I tell you that My Buddy doll went into the garage with the quickness. Trash. Trash. <laughs> um, but... The thing was this, my mom decided that was a perfect opportunity to um, use that to get me in line. And so whenever I was bad, she would threaten to throw the chuck- to throw the, um, the My Buddy doll on me in the middle of the night. She were able to attack <laughs> me and try to kill me like Chucky would. It's kind of a little bit much, don't you think? I'm really um, glad I never had any of these. <laughs> so Chucky scared the living fuck out of me for the rest of my childhood. I'm so happy. All I had was Legos. <laughs> <laughs> like the poster for Child's Play 2 where he's cutting the Jack and Box heads off, head off is terrifying to me. <laughs> As a grown man, I, I still get a little bit of a twinge when I see it from just that, 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 that residual childhood terror. So you went willingly to go see the new movie? I did, because I, I, I wanted to try to deal with this this trauma of mine. Sure. Did it help? It actually did. <laughs> so what happened in this point was that um, MGM, remember, still had the rights to the original film. So they decided, we'll just remake it and start a new franchise of our own. Now, Don Mancini doesn't like that shit at all, because he just got a Chucky TV show greenlit for a sci-fi network. So there's going to be two Chucky franchises competing with each other. Or at least that's the way it seems. We'll see what happens if they make more of these. How weird. Yes, very, extremely weird. So this 
New Child's Play has come out in the theaters this weekend. It's a remake of the first one that's completely re- reconceptualized from the ground up. In this new version, we have, and I'm, and this will we know, folks, if you haven't seen New Child's Play, these are going to be spoilers. I can't describe this without spoiling it properly. I just can't because you have to hear the details in this because it's a whole lot. So, I mean, put the little thing up. Um, really quickly, the movie's a lot of fun. Story is very lightweight. Characters aren't drawn properly, but it's a lot of fun. It's very, it's more like an R-rated Gremlins than anything else, which means that Warner Brothers is pissed because they now cannot remake Gremlins because they basically stole their story for this movie. Um, but yeah, I would give it a B, a straight up B. More or less, depending upon how you feel about horror movies and slashes and blood and guts and everything, but you know, a B. So spoilers, Child's Play 2019. So in the new version, we have the Castlin Company, who makes everything you can think of. They make smartphones. They make personal assistants. They make Roombas. They make self-driving cars. Does this sound familiar to anybody, this corporation? That makes all these things that you can order online. Like an Amazon, <laughs> Apple, Tesla, you know. Actually, no, it makes me think of more Tesla, not really Amazon. It's a combination of all three is sort of kind of how because, it works. Because you say Roomba and then you say like... Self-driving cars. Cars, so it, makes you think, it makes you think Tesla. Yeah, but it's basically a combination of Amazon, Apple, and Tesla. My Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> they introduce... What is called the Buddy Doll, which is this interactive toy that can talk back to you. It has an artificial intelligence. It can learn your name. It can learn words, terms. It can also it can play you music, like real music, over the cloud. It can turn on your TV and all your appliances. It can um, activate your smartphones. You control it using an app. It's going to be not just your kids' friends to the end, but the whole family's friends to the end. There's even a cute song called The Buddy Song, which I'm not allowed to sing on this podcast. Because um, <laughs> I was requested not to, and I'm respecting that request, Ali. You, you, you are welcome. <laughs> so it's like and, a Furby Echo kind of thing. Yes. Like, like an Alexa with legs and arms. And so in this it's movie... Probably, by the way, people, don't... don't it, it seems appealing, but don't put an Alexa in your... <laughs> Listen, after seeing this, I would never get an Alexa. And I <laughs> never, not ever. Uh, there's there's too much controversy that swirls around the kind of information that Alexa that learns. Alexa learns and just the integration and the the possible um, you know, sharing of your data um just you know, across the board. And it's it's a little alarming. So just think before you do purchase something like this. Please. Right. So, so they're showing the ad for this. It's the first part of the movie. Then smash cut to the factory in Vietnam. Where they're putting together these buddy dolls haphazardly and like in terrible conditions. And this one worker's just staring at his plant because he hates life and he wants to be outside and everything. And his supervisor comes over. Hey, why, why are you daydreaming again? You're fired. Finish up that last doll and then get out of here. I don't want you to work here anymore. You're going to go back to the streets where I found you. So my man turns back to his desk and he's like, fuck everything. And he goes into the, into the console doing his best Kermit the Frog typing impression. Just keys flying. And he turns off all the safety protocols, all the language protocols, every 
barrier to keep the doll safe, he turns it all off. He basically sets it to evil and then jumps, jumps out the window and kills himself. I feel like he should not have had that access. <laughs> I feel like that too. What? Yeah, why does, perspective. Yeah, why does somebody on the ground level have administrative rights to basically making all these kind of changes to up the programming? You should be just you should be just putting it together. You shouldn't be responsible for the programming. Maybe he had. Maybe he's a hacker. Maybe he learned it the cheat codes on the maybe. streets where he was found. <laughs> Maybe they have internet Maybe. cafes out there. I don't they know. They didn't, uh, you know, lock your window station like you're supposed to before walking away in your lunch break. I, Maybe listen, you didn't change his password. Something happened. I don't know. I just know, I that, you, I just know they, that, that the music started playing because um, Bear McCreary does the score for Child's Play. And it's basically him playing the music on like um, Schroeder's toy piano blocks and things. It's a great score. Oh, yeah. That's that's goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing all this dramatic music and there's lightning outside to try to remind you of the first movie. And while he's doing all this typing, I am rolling in my chair, cracking up. Because <laughs> they are playing it clearly for some form of laughs. So the doll ends up at the... Um, Zed Mart in America. Zed Mart is basically, it's not really Walmart. It's more low brow than that. It's more like a like a Kmart or a Roses than a Walmart. This is where Aubrey Roses. Yes, Roses, yes. Wow. This is where Aubrey Plaza works. Uh, she plays the mom Karen in this version. She's very poor. She lives in an apartment complex. It's kind of not the best place to live for her and her 13-year-old son Andy. Um she wants to get Andy something for his birthday. She doesn't have any money. But she sees him watching um, some memes of the buddy doll on his app, thinks that's what he wants. And she gets one that was going to be sent back to the factory as defective uh, because A, it didn't, it didn't work, and B, the new version, the buddy two, comes out in two weeks. So this new buddy one is already obsolete. So he she takes it to... Andy, for his birthday present, he's like, I'm too old for this, though. No, just just keep it, please, so I can get for you. And so they get it. The doll names itself Chucky because it's malfunctioning. It doesn't work very well. It can't connect to the cloud. It can't turn, you know, I mean, like, properly. But what it does do is that it obeys its programming and it becomes Andy's best friend. It really likes Andy, and it's sort of kind of like some E.T. Gizmo, and um, it's sort of like E.T. Uh, Elliot and E.T. shit, or some Gizmo, and what's my man's name? Billy stuff. It's a little montage where they're, they're playing a little the song for the commercial, and they're having fun. He's teaching Chucky how to play chess, and they're just enjoying life. They're hanging out. They're best buds. Uh, Andy discovers that his Chucky doll has, is learning cursing words from him, from himself and his mom. And this um, attracts um, the um, the other kids in the building to him because he has a um, buddy doll that can curse. So there's these two kids, stereotype one, like the fat, goofy kid, stereotype, stereotype two, like, you know, like the tough girl kid. And they're like, this, your doll is so cool. Say dick cheese. Dick cheese. This is awesome. And so they hang out with him because the doll can say dick cheese. Um, I mean, that, that's pretty accurate writing, though, the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever reason, like, um, um, 
they put a knife in Chucky's hand and, and have him pretend to stab somebody and say, you should do that and say, this is for Tupac, Chucky. And, you know, Chucky doesn't understand. He just thinks that's victim would be happy, so he tries to do that. And then later on, they're watching um, horror movies, specifically Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And they, he sees the kids laughing and enjoying this um, gory horror movie, and so he goes and gets a knife from the kitchen and starts trying to stab one of them. Because he's like, I thought this would make you happy, Andy. You seem to be enjoying this. And so they put Chucky in the closet, and they're like, what do we do? Well, they put him in the cabinet first, the glass cabinet, because he, um, he breaks out of that motherfucker. He's unlike being in cabinets or boxes. He's very claustrophobic. And I should also mention that Mark Hamill is the voice of Chucky in this, in this movie. And he's great. He's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Chucky's first kill is a cat. Um, the cat's name is Mickey Rooney, and the cat scratched Andy at one point by accident, because it's a cat. Cats do that every now and then. And Andy says, I hate that stupid cat. I wish that I, I wish we didn't have it anymore. And so Chucky kills the cat. <laughs> the next kill Chucky makes is to um Andy's mom's boyfriend who is a piece of shit who hates the kid and throttles him and is mean to him and is also married and has a family who lives out in the country and he keeps his wedding ring inside of his um, truck when he comes to see Andy's mom. And after one um, bad fight with um, this boyfriend, um, Andy is like, Ugh, I hate him. I wish he would go away and never come back. And so Chucky stows away to the, um, his other family, who, for reasons I don't understand, live live um, um, on a farm with a watermelon patch. And so Chucky kills this guy and takes his face off of his skull, puts it onto a watermelon, and puts a bow on it, and puts it on Andy's desk as a present. So Andy has this face watermelon and doesn't know what to do with it. He wraps it up as a present and tries to take it someplace, but ends up, for whatever reason, pretending he's giving it as a present to the old lady who lives down the hall. Her son is Brian Tyree Henry, who is a detective. Eventually, he finds a way to finally throw the thing away and throw it into the chute, but not before Brian Tyree Henry sees it wrapped up in wrapping paper. Which is important because when Chucky starts killing people like this guy, that he kills, kills the superintendent after they throw him into the trash. Trash. Um, eventually, that when that um, head makes it down there with the wrapping paper, Brian Tyree Henry thinks that this child is the one who's killing these people, and he goes to try to arrest the child. Meanwhile, the friends don't want to hang around with Andy anymore because the doll's being too weird. They think that maybe it's Andy who's killing, killing these folks and not Chucky. The uh, most dramatic kill is when um, Brian Tyree Henry's mom uses um, the Castling app to call herself a, self, uh, um, a self-driving car to take herself to bingo so that her son doesn't have to, does not have to drive her. And Chucky takes control of the self-driving car because when he fell in the trash, the superintendent, a super creepy guy, fixes him and gives him a better upgrade so he can connect to the cloud properly. But Chucky ends up killing him. 
And so now he kills this old black woman by having her in this self-driving car that he crashes and then he goes in and stabs her. And so now Brian Tyree Henry is mad and arrests Andy at the opening of the Buddy Tuklancha. His mom has to work. But then Chucky takes control of the new Buddy Twos and a Buddy Bear as well. So there's a Shazam family of Chuckies running around killing people. <laughs> 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 and in the midst of all of this, you know, because the reason why he's doing these kills is because he wants pe- he wants him and Andy to be the only people around. Anybody who's in his way of Andy is going to die. For example, like when the um when the um the grandmama was like, "Ooh, you're my new best friend," for showing her how to use that app. Chucky's like, "No, I'm the only best friend Andy has." And so he ends up kidnapping Andy's mom to try to lure him back. This is like, Andy, we can be friends again, just you and me. And when, you know, they start fighting, Chucky tries to stab Andy and kill him. He's like, you know, maybe you're messed up on the inside like I was. I I need to open you up and see what's going on in there. And so I don't think he's a qualified doctor. No, he's not. And so it ends up um, Aubrey Plaza gets free because Andy yeah. frees her. And Brian Tyree Henry, who we thought um, was attacked in like this Shazam family of Chucky's, ends up having survived and shoots the doll in the head. And, <laughs> and so they end up having to go to the hospital to try to get repaired. Meanwhile, the kids take the Chucky doll outside and beat it to a pulp and throw it in the trash. Trash? It's a, so there's a lot of trash in this Yes. In this, uh, these reviews tonight. Yes, there Trash. is. And so, because the movie basically, it plays the stuff for, almost for laughs in every opportunity. It's more like Gremlins than anything else. And less like Child's Play, the original from 88. It's not really scary. Creepy, yes. Gory, absolutely. Because when Chucky kills the, um, the, 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 the trifling ass adulterous boyfriend... He has him tied up in Christmas lights and has a thrasher that turns up over the ground on the farm come and try to come and take his head off. And his scalp flies off and lands on a post like a toupee. It's just like dark kitschy humor. Yes. Campy's the word. Yeah. Yes. Like even when it's the, um, this um, old black lady being driven around in this self-driving car you know, because she she pulls up the bingo like, hey, girls, look at me. I'm a self-driving car. Skirt! What's going on? Castle, stop! Castle! Because it was like, Google, stop. Castle, stop! Castle, reset! No! Crash. And it's like, peekaboo, I see you. Ah! Stab, 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 stab. But yeah, I... It, it, I Enjoyed the movie. I got over my um, embedded childhood fears of Chucky. It does help that this new Chucky is ugly from the time he's in. He's out of the box. I don't understand how this is supposed to be a popular toy for kids. It's ugly. <laughs> it is like Tisha Campbell on a bad hair day, and without oh. with, without water or like sustenance. Like, a, like if Tisha Campbell had a, a sister who had been uh, abused and like and locked inside of a cave for forty years. That's what this no. Chucky looks like. Tisha <laughs> Campbell without moisturizing her, her scalp. No, it, it's worse than that because Tisha Campbell is a beautiful woman. But like it, the Chucky doll looks like her evil stepsister. 
It just has this look like 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 a, like a, it has this real weird uncanny valley thing going on about it. This the doll looks like <laughs> what would have left Tisha Campbell at home to ponder her life when a uh, um, you know a, a fairy godmother comes along. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. gives her a great so she can go to the club and find it. right because like. When it gets mad, like the eat, like he has like this really intense evil face. The eyes glow red. He's got his little finger glows like ET whenever he's controlling things. But it plays out a lot like Gremlins, even ending in a department store battle. I mean, and all the kills are kind of funny like that. It's very Gremlin Amblin esque in that way. It's also very short. It's only eighty-eight minutes. It's not. It, you, it's you're in and out of this one. They don't try to drag anything out, but that also means that every character is pretty much a, a, a stereotype, except for um, Andy and his mom. Even Brian Tyree Henry is sort of kind of. I mean, he's he tries his best to elevate his sort of kind of underwritten detective character by being a little bit goofy with it. But the kids are all stereotypes. Oh, he's the fat, funny kid. Oh, he. Oh, she's the tough girl. Oh, he's the bully. You know, it's it's like that. But it's entertaining. I'll give it that. It's very entertaining. But it's just, it's funny entertaining. It's not a horror movie really like, like that. It's a horror comedy. I think people will enjoy it when it's edited down for broadcast standards to put on USA or TNT or wherever it ends up. The people who don't like Chucky, I mean. <laughs> so I, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like those Toy Story posters they did. Uh, do you feel like that made you more interested in the movie? Yes. I ain't gonna lie. Because they were doing way too much with them posters. I was like, okay, let me see this shit. Dude, I appreciated how ballsy they were to be like opening the same day, right? And doing those posters. Like, yeah, we're counter-programming. Really. <laughs> Literally counter-programming. We're gonna kill all the Toy Story characters with each poster one by one. <laughs> I appreciated that humor for their campaign. But yeah, so I I will be interesting to see what happens with the child's play moving forward. If they make a sequel to this, if they make a spinoff of this somehow, and how that affects what they're doing with the a traditional franchise, uh, that'd be some interesting shit to see. It'd be like them competing um, James Bond movies in like the eighties and the sixties. So we shall see. But yeah, yeah, that's all I have to say about Child's Play. Um, anybody have anything else to add? Uh, do you have a letter grade? Oh, B, B, flat B. I would uh. give your review of this movie an A. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that. I will say that Satan is busy and that you need a Bible, Brandon. <laughs> There's no voodoo in this picture. <laughs> this is about the perils of our connected society and us having too much shit that can control too much shit and where okay, they can lead us. Okay, so watch Terminator. <laughs> I mean, he basically is the Terminator. <laughs> what is the difference between this wow. and the Terminator? Is that he's small um, and cute, supposedly? And he's a not cute. Up as we're going he's... down in lava. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> um, Ending any movie that way makes me happy at this point. Yes. 
<laughs> Tammy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find you online? Thanks for having me. Um, let's see. I'm everywhere online. There's CowKitty, Instagram, Twitter, and the uh, website is uh, cowkitty.net. All right. Awesome. As for us, we are at ssmpodcast.com, across all social media under the handle at ssmpodcast, and our show is found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Acast, and wherever else podcasts can be found. This has been the Say Something Nice podcast. I am Brandon, and I am here with Tammy. Hello. And, Goodbye. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> and Chucky's number one fan. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Why is he like this? <laughs> He's trying to help you get the closure that he himself got in the movie. Yes. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Don't turn around. <laughs> Did you hear that? You know what? The fact that you said that, don't turn around. That was the running <laughs> gag. Was it Final Destination 3? So you can watch the- that shit and you can't watch Child's Play? I can't Final watch Final Destination. <laughs> I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> is about, um, what was it? What What's that called when you have, uh, what is the scientific term for? Bad luck. For um for uh chain reactions, what's the proper term for that? Chain reactions. What's it? Is it <laughs> Anxiety, paranoia, no, realistic outview. What's that called again for for um chain reaction? A chain a reaction Gold, machine. Goldberg machine? A yes, Goldberg? a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Of death. Yeah, of death. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is what final stations are. Rube Goldberg machines of death. No, so. imagine all of that, like the giant machine, like da, 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 that all leads just one little doll. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I hope you get some sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna just gonna leave all the lights on. <laughs> Close your eyes and just see Chucky. Yeah. Does this podcast offer some mental health services? Is that part no, of, is, he's, not even, he's not even going to offer to like 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 take me to this <laughs> take me to therapy or anything like that. No, he's just gonna do no. this. <laughs> Only now can the healing finally begin. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's, yeah, I apologize, because Ali also doesn't like Gremlins, and this is basically Gremlins for the doll. So I mean, like, oh, no. watching it probably won't. So. I am definitely right. <laughs> I was like, but Ali it was funny when the old lady went out the window, and that the painting was looking at her. She flew out the window. <laughs> she <laughs> fell in her feet. Her feet were laying up, and they hit that dramatic dun 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 dun. Good night. All right. Have a good evening, Tammy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>